President Miner, the recording is now on. It is 2.02 p.m. To order this regular meeting of the San Francisco Civil Service Commission on Monday, November 6, 2023 at 2.02 p.m. Our commission staff will read a statement with more information about our meeting today. Thereafter, staff will tell us how we're handling public comment. Good afternoon and welcome to the Civil Service Commission meeting this Monday, November 6, 2023. This meeting is being held in hybrid format with the meeting occurring in person in City Hall room 400 and available to view on WebEx if you have an item scheduled on the agenda. Public may listen to the meeting by calling 415-655-0001 and entering access code 2661-400-4029. We welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for general public comment on items not on the agenda at the beginning of the meeting, and there will be an opportunity to comment on each discussion or action item on the agenda. Each comment is limited to three minutes. Public comment will be taken both in person and remotely by video or call-in. For each item, the commission will take public comment first from people attending the meeting in person and then from people attending the meeting remotely. Commission staff will provide further instructions on how to provide public comment via phone or video. If you need assistance by ac for accessing the meeting virtually or by phone, please call 628-652-1100. Please note that city policies along a federal, state, and local law prohibit discriminatory or harassing conduct against city employees and others during public meetings and will not be tolerated. Moreover, public comment is permitted only on matters within the jurisdiction of this meeting body. Commission staff will now provide further instructions on making public comment remotely. It's stated on our agenda and our website, this meeting is being held remotely. For members who wish to listen and or to make public comment, the phone number is 415-655-0001. The meeting ID code is 26614002029. Please make sure that you're in a quiet location and that you turn off any television or radio to reduce reverberation so the commission can hear you. At the appropriate time, the president will ask for the phone lines to be open. If you wish to comment on the particular item, you will be prompted to press star three. This will add you to the speaker line. The auto prompt will say that callers are entering question and answer time, but this is the public comment period. You will be queued up in the order in which you press star three. There will be an automated voice that will tell you when it is your turn to speak. When your microphone has been unmuted, you will hear us ask you to state your name and to make your comments. When you, I will say 30 seconds when you have 30 seconds remaining. When your time is up, I will say thank you, next caller, please. At this point, the moderator will put you back on mute. Uh, thank you. We are ready for the first agenda item. Item number one, call to order and roll call, President Minor. Here. Vice President Favetti. Here. Commissioner Crowley. Present. Commissioner Leung. Here. Commissioner Salveson. Here. And we have a quorum. Thank you. We are ready for the next agenda item.
Item two, request to speak on any matter within the jurisdiction of the Civil Service Commission, but not appearing on today's agenda. Uh, members of the public and attendees, this is your opportunity to address the commission on any matter within the jurisdiction of the commission, but not appearing on today's agenda. If you have public comment and if you're in the room, you may come to the podium now. If you're on the telephone, please press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay, we have no public comment in the room. We are ready to move to the next agenda item. Item three, approval of minutes, regular meeting of October 16th, 2023. Recommendation, adopt the minutes. Uh, commissioners, before you are the minutes for our meeting of October 16, 2023. Are there any comments, corrections, or edits to the minutes? Yes. <clears throat> Vice President Favetti. Oh, yes, I wanted to, on the uh, commissioner's announcements and requests, uh, I wanted to uh, clarify a number three, which was follow up on the MTA, and I know that my voice was giving out by that time, but um, uh, follow up on the MTA request for review of civil service uh, rule requirements regarding um, non contemporaneous documentation, uh, or I should say, that yeah, was the MTA request, and out of class work. Actually, exactly. Uh, so that's an addition to the Well, that's to the actually, minutes. That's, that, is, uh, that is what I think item number three was. Um, it was the uh, review of the civil service rules and requirements in relation to non-contemporaneous documentation and out-of-class work. Okay, so. Uh, in response to uh, the MTA request at the mm -hmm. beginning of the meeting, yeah. So uh, should one, two, and three that's currently there be deleted? Oh, one and two is correct. One and two are correct. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me, just to amend number three. Okay. Any other additions or changes to the minutes? Second as amended. We have a, 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 mo a, a motion and a second to adopt the minutes as amended in today's meeting. Uh, if you have any public comment on the motion, you may come to the podium if you're in the room. If you're on the telephone, press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Thank you. Commissioners, roll call vote to uh, adopt or approve the minutes of our meeting of October 16. Uh, Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. We have approved our minutes of our meeting of October 16, 2023. Thank you. We are ready for the next agenda item. Item number four, announcements. Uh, there are no announcements of changes to the agenda. We are ready for the next agenda item. Item five, human resources director's report. Uh, Director Eisen. Report for today. Okay, thank you. Um, we are ready for the next agenda item. Item number six, executive officer's report, 2024 calendar of CSC meeting dates, including deadlines for reports, recommendation, adopt the calendar. 
Commissioners, do you have any questions or are these dates fine? Um, so far, the only date that's different is in January because the first and third Mondays are holidays. So we scheduled a special meeting where there is a hearing room available and that was at the end of January. Uh, commissioners, any questions about the uh, meeting schedule for 2024? I would move to approve. Second. We have a motion to approve the schedule of meetings for 2024 for the commission. If you're in the room and you have public comment on the motion, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Thank you. Commissioner Sorokal vote to approve the uh, meeting schedule for 2024. Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. We have adopted and approved the calendar of meetings for the commission for 2024. Thank you. We are ready for the next agenda item. We are now on the ratification agenda. All matters on the ratification agenda are considered by the Civil Service Commission to be non-contested and will be acted upon by a single vote of the commission. There will be no separate discussion on these items unless a request is made, in which event the matter shall be removed from the ratification agenda and considered as a separate item. Item seven, review of requests for approval of proposed personal services contracts and the recommendation of the Human Resources Director, adopt the report, approve the request for proposed personal services contracts, notify the Office of the Controller and the Office of Contract Administration. Okay, uh, commissioners, please indicate if you have uh, any PSCs that you would like severed from the ratification agenda, agenda item number seven. Uh, Vice President Favetti. Uh, yes. Uh Contract number 45219-2324, Public Utilities Commission. And uh, four Hold on eight, a second, let me oh, catch up with you. Four five. Mm -hmm. uh, four five two one nine. Okay, I have it. Oh, got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then uh four eight four three nine dash twenty-three twenty-four human resources. Okay. Commissioner Crawley, any items severed to be severed from the ratification agenda? Not at this time, Madam Chair. Thank you. Commissioner Salveson? Um, <clears throat> just in terms of check-in, I would uh, sever 43627-2324 agency. Um, and 40354-2324 Public Utilities Commission. Give me the, the PUC one again, please, for... 40354. Okay, I have it. Commissioner Leon, any additional contracts to be severed from the ratification agenda? Yes, on page 7, mm -hmm. 49173-2324, public health for $5 million. Mm -hmm. And then on page uh, 8, Public Works, 
for $4 million. Thank you. And I have no additional contracts to be severed. Uh, we are ready for a motion and second to adopt the ratification agenda. I move that all contracts that have not been pulled um, be approved as part of the ratification agenda. Uh, second. We have a motion and a second to approve uh, the ratification agenda minus those contracts that have been pulled um, uh, today. Uh, if you are in the room and you have public comment on the motion, you may come to the podium now. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Thank you, and no public comment in the room. Uh, the commissioners, the roll call vote to approve the ratification agenda minus the contracts that have been severed. Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner uh, Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. And Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. We have approved the ratification agenda minus the severed contracts. Uh, the first contract that was pulled uh, is uh, Commissioner Salveson, 436272324, uh, Muni. Is there a representative from Muni with us, MTA? Yes, yes. Can you hear me? My name is Rosa Esquivel. Yes, we can hear you. Commissioner Salveson? Yes, hello. Thank you for being here. I would just uh, request that since this contract uh, runs, or this PSC runs until 2033, that the MTA do one check-in at five years? Not a problem. Okay. Commissioner, Commissioner Salison, sorry, my, my manners <laughs> need to improve. Okay, thank you. Um, so with that um, addition, with the check-in, I would move approval of this PSC 43627-2324 MTA. Second. We have a motion and a second to approve 43627-2324 MTA uh, with the caveat of a check-in in five years. If you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium now. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Thank you. Commissioners, the roll call vote to approve 43627-2324 MTA. Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. We have approved 43627-2324 MTA. Thank you for being here. The next pulled contract is Commissioner Leon. Uh, four nine one seven three twenty three twenty four uh, public health is a representative from public health with us uh, I'm sorry you're quite muddled oh sorry uh, Kelly Hiramoto um, acting PSC coordinator for Department of Public Health um, this PSC is uh, to support staff to create engaging media and outreach campaigns and or conduct community assessments and surveys for a variety of public health topics. Okay. And our initial project it's, is a campaign. Excuse me, can, why don't you, if you would wait a second, uh, the commissioner will ask his question and that way you'll be able to narrow your presentation specifically to his question. 
Thank you. Okay. Great. Thank you so much. Um, I'm just wondering if it would be advisable for us to, exp to explore the possibility of creating a new classification for this type of work. Uh, as I understand it, this is the second time that you're asking for this PSC. The first time was, um, I forgot the, the dollar amount, but it was between the period of uh, 2016 to 2020 with a one-year extension. Now you're coming before the commission asking for a very similar uh, personal services contract. Uh, just for, uh, I think I remember maybe last meeting with two meetings ago, uh, we um, agreed to a contract uh, with MTA contracting out for similar services for survey, uh, for uh, survey creation, expertise and uh, transportation. So this is very similar along the lines of um, what we have agreed to contract out. Uh, thank you, Commissioner. Um, the department is uh, requesting to um, bring on consultants who are subject matter experts um, in the topic of, uh, for this particular initial, initial project is for a campaign to educate the public for substance use and the effectiveness and availability for opioid addiction and education. Um, ordinarily, we, we ask for contracts uh, specific to topics that are outside the expertise or outside the reach of the expertise of the department. And, and that is the reason why uh, this PSC is coming uh, to the commission. So it's the expertise in uh, drafting or survey or is the expertise in the, the area of substance abuse and the other categories that you mentioned? Exactly, the, the dual expertise. Why can't we do this work in-house? We don't have any expertise in-house? We do, um, I'll, I'll ask them. Um, we have with us Emily Ragonald, who's the coordinator for uh, op opioid prevention specifically, and she can speak to the need for their particular section for this um, service. Hello, commissioners, can you hear me? Yes. Wonderful, thank you so much for having me today, and I'm happy to talk about this. Um, in, in terms of the expertise, we, we do, as a department, have a lot of expertise around substance use disorders and substance use services that are available through the Department of Public Health. What we need help with and what we're trying to contract out is a company or, or a vendor that is able to help us in drafting and creating media campaigns to get this information out to the public. Um, so the expertise in creating media campaigns like this is what we're um, looking to get through this contract. Um, and then also what our what our office does not hold expertise in is assessing the public's knowledge about this and what would be the most effective way of communicating this information to the public. So do you currently have someone on board uh, performing this work? We do not. Okay, who was it uh, the last uh, for the last contract? I, I do not know for the previous contract. I don't have any further questions. Okay. Um, commissioners, any additional questions to public health about 49173? Are we ready for a motion and a second? Actually, I'm wondering if um, Vice President Favetti. I'm sorry, excuse me. Um, to Commissioner Leong, uh, you seem to have uh, 
address an issue. And I'm wondering if it would be appropriate perhaps to request to determine whether or not a classification would be required. Oh, I, go ahead and approve it for the time being. I, I would like that. I would like maybe with the help of the director, with director Eisen, uh, explore the possibility of seeing if it's possible to have a new classification for this type of work, survey design, survey implementation. Uh, the department can still, you know, contract out for the, their specialties like substance abuse or uh, in the areas of transportation, uh, uh, but I think just within the last three months, we have approved at least two contracts similar to this. So what I'm thinking is, okay, they have the contract go forward with the conditional, okay. um, with the conditions that that um, that the establishment or creation of a new class, or utilization of one of our broader classes that uh, would be appropriate uh, in determining whether or not there is a feasibility for that. That could be part of a motion. I I, I would agree with that because I, I think public information officer could certainly, within the purview of that classification, that there may, may be other classifications that can do this work. Then would you mind if I go ahead and make a motion to go ahead and prove the contract with the specification that um, a, a feasibility study or a uh, the exploration or an explore, exploration the possibility of either utilizing one of our broader classes with a special condition or a new class for this particular service i would agree with that would you second i would second so we have a motion and a second to approve 4917323 24 uh with the proviso that uh we study the either the creation of a new class to undertake uh, survey support work or uh, look at the feasibility of one of the existing broader classes taking on this work. If you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium now. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three now. President Minor, we do have a caller with their hand raised. I'm going to unmute the person now. Thank you. Caller, please state and spell your name for the record. Good afternoon. My name is Naj Daniels, D-A-N-I-E-L-S is my last name. I'm with SEIU 1021. And I just wanted to appreciate the commission for acknowledging that several departments have come with a need to survey our wonderful San Franciscans to provide services or to improve on the services they're providing and creating a class that could perform this work is great to hear and witness, especially with our budgetary cliff that we might be facing per our controller's forecast. So thank you for that and definitely appreciate it. Thank you for your comments, SEIU. Any additional comments, Elizabeth? Uh, President Minor, no further public comment at this time. Okay, and no comments in the room. We will move to the roll call vote. Commissioners, this is to approve 49173-2324 um, uh, with the caveat of looking at creation of a class or the work being done by one of the existing classes. Um, Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. We have approved 49173-2324. Um, public health, thank you for being here, both of you. Thank you, Commissioner. The next severed contract is 
54-2324 PUC, uh, Commissioner Salveson. Hi, who's here from the PUC? Hi, I'm Shandrea Hill, the um, PSC coordinator and the project manager is here as well. Thank you. All I um, am requesting is a, a check-in on this contract um, after four years. We can do that, thank you. Okay, thank you very much. So um, with that addition, I would move approval of PSC 40354-2324. Second. Okay, we have a motion and a second to approve 40354-2324 with a check-in after four years. If you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Uh, thank you, Elizabeth. Uh, commissioners, the roll call vote to approve 40354-2324, subject to a check-in after four years. Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. We have approved 40354-2324 <coughs> uh, PUC. Uh, PUC, thank you for being here and responding to the inquiry. The next pulled contract is 45219-2324, uh, PUC uh, pulled by Vice President Favetti. And who is with us from the PUC for this contract? Hi, I'm Chandra Hill, the PSC coordinator, and Helen Yang is on the phone um, representing the project team. If you could okay. unmute her, if there's a question pertaining to the project. Okay, thank you. Uh, Vice President Favetti. Oh, hi, I'm, and uh, thank you for being here. Um, one is the first thing is, of course, the check-in in five years because this is a 10-year contract. But um, as I was reading an editorial this uh, weekend, I noted a comment here that I thought might be, uh, and I had a question about it anyway, uh, and then it was, of course, underscored by the editorial. Uh, in 5B, you indicate it takes too long to adopt a new civil service position, but we need the resources to, position to, the, to perform this now. Um, additionally, after implementation of these improvements, we do not need the expertise and we can train city resources. The concern I had was taking too long to um, uh, to get a, to have the city in a civil service position, which indicated to me that potentially this could be done in-house. That was one question. And then two questions. This is a, the second question is that this is a 10-year contract, and although you have indicated or modified your position, it appears towards the, the end of the statement. Um, in 10 years, I, it, it would seem to me that we would be able to hire a civil service position. So I just wanted to have a further explanation on, is this really that you don't need a civil service position or that this is a, a something that is, a, that is uh, a very, very short term and that this is also, this is going to be, that it's basically that city employees are going to be trained to be doing this work. Or so could you, if you could explain a little bit further uh, of, of your remarks in 5B? Keeping in mind that we have made lots of reforms in the past couple of months with regard to the speed of hire of civil service employees. Okay, uh, PC, did you understand the question? 
Yes, the um, project team is on the call. So if they're raising their hand to be unmuted, if they could be unmuted. Okay. Um, Elizabeth. President Minor, there's no one with their hand raised. Uh, okay, they're unmuted. Actually, the person is unmuted. So they can speak unless they're having problems with their mic. Hi, can you hear me? This is Helen A. Uh, yes, yes, we, we can. Okay. Yeah, I'm the project control uh, assisting to uh, Moshen Yusufan, and uh, she's the project control manager. So in terms of this um, contract, we are, uh, it's really, it's a very specialized technical skill that the city will not have the ability, technical specialties to provide the, um, the needs in, in terms of when we need this and, and also the timing of the hiring will not be uh, sufficient in the timeline that we need. So, okay, so let me clarify. You're saying that it takes too long to hire a civil service employee, and is that the reason you need to go out for contract then? Even though, and, and that that's part of it, but also it uh, involves different areas of technical specialty in terms of system integration that we don't have that um, ability to do so in in the way that we, you know, utilize the software. Um, oh, can I chime in? Yeah, sure. Yes, please, uh, Commissioner Leon. So I just want to echo Vice President uh, Favetti's um, concern. Um, I read this contract twice. Um, I think you had one back in 2014 uh, to 2018, and which was modified two or three subsequent times. Uh, and um, I don't know if you currently have contractors sitting uh, in PUC offices or outside PUC offices doing the work. Uh, but the language between the last contract and this contract is uh, pretty much identical. So that tells me that you have had enough time, right, to do this work. But if you want to move this work in-house, you certainly have, have had more than sufficient time to, uh, to evaluate whether this work could be done in-house. And I'm not convinced at this particular time that this work is so specialized that you can't do it within city civil service classification employees. Can you address those issues, please? Yeah, at this time, I don't have a better answer for you. Um, it's been um, really difficult. Yes, we do have, you know, existing contract related to the service from years ago, and that's expiring. And we've been utilizing these contracts to supplement the, the city staff, which uh, it's been difficult to find these type of uh, special skills to be honest. So it's, uh, you know, we are trying our best to to hire city staff as well as, you know, we needed to utilize these uh, professional service contracts to supplement us. It's- Let me slice it. In, let me slice it another way. Your current, your, the one that just expired or about to expire? Going uh, to be expired. It should be. Do you have consultants or contractors sitting in PUC offices or, or working yes. with PUC? Yes, they're working alongside us. The city. Alongside. Okay, and how many do you have? Um, 10-ish people. 
Okay. And since the language is very similar from the past and the present uh, PSC proposal, is the intent to continue to use the 10 or so consultant city and PUC offices to continue to do this work? Well, we have no control of that, right? It depends on the qualified uh, bidder and depending on who is bidding for this contract. So your intent is to, to bid this out and then whoever the lowest bid is, you would replace the current if it's not the current staff? Or Correct. The current... Yeah, the, the, it's been advertised already and we are uh, working on scoring and interviewing them. And how long have these consultants been sitting in PUC offices? So uh, well, different staff been here for a different time frame. Um, it's the contract that's the the prime consultant. It's here. here. Okay, so so there are different um, staff for different. Higher at different point in time, depending on the need. So there's no proprietary nature of this work. It's just a specialized type of work. And that PUC has had so many years, right, to uptrain or train the employees who are in the PCG group, right, to do knowledge transfer from consultants to uh, to civil civil service classifications. So the yeah, yeah, they have. Okay. Sorry, this work is just very, highly specialized work. It's really hard to find people to replace. And what is the specialized nature of this work, may I ask? Sure, it's uh, project scheduling and cost estimating, as well as system integration, which involves um, integrating or utilizing mapping the people's, we use a lot of people's off financial data and integrating into this uh, software called Primavera P6 that we use to uh, keep track of our capital improvement projects, which they are, they are like in billion dollar programs over the 10 years. And just to add to that, you know, there's also going to be training of staff. So it sounds that they, the, the information is then integrated into what staff does currently. Yes. So, so it's, uh, you know, the staff plus the hiring, hire consultant to work together and to, uh, you know, to offer assistance to all the work that we do. Does the expertise you need change frequently? I would good in case if there's any development in, in certain areas. But you're keeping on the same contractors now, and how long have they been, the current group, been in your offices? The contract, existing contract, has been here since um, the last contract, I would say seven, almost seven, seven and a half years ago. And the staff varies, right? The, some, depending on which contract, some may have been here for that long, some have just been hired because we, there's always been a need to hire new, uh, I mean, we have a lot of new projects happening within PUC, so there's a need to specialize uh, the control engineers to 
support and assist the project managers in these uh, capital improvement projects. Okay, there's a couple things I'm seeing. I'm seeing number one, we need we need the feasibility and the need and the, the possibility of bringing this in house. Two, I'm thinking that tenure contract maybe reduced down to five, and then you can request another extension after that. Would how would that impact the work? Because you've already had ten years, right? How would that impact? Andrea Hill with the P, um, PUC, um, the CSD coordinator. I just wanted to add in one 
we went to the PSC for 10 years, but this contract is only eight years. Um, and two, this is our second time coming back because we wasn't able, we weren't able to execute the contract within the amount of time, the one year. So this has already been approved. We um, so went out for solicitation for the eight years and we are in the process um, of um, scoring the, the um, proposers at this time. So I don't know if that makes a difference of this already being approved last year and we're just coming back. So we are in line with the civil service commission rules. I think there's a couple of things. There's a, you know, the, the water level, uh, the water level lowers, the rocks rise, and we've gone through a major uh, reform. And we're also taking a look at our personal services contract procedures and policies in very, very close uh, with a close eye. But also, what was stated in this particular submission, uh, in, in view of some of our recent uh, recent issues that have occurred, um, has really risen. Had has made these rocks rise to the surface in a sense. Um, what I understand that you're, uh, it was approved last year, except that, or a year ago, what we're looking at now is the possibility or the feasibility, whether or not this needs, since this may even continue for another 10 years or after this, um, is there a feasibility of bringing any of this work in without disturbing or, or, or uh, disapproving the contract? but instead perhaps bringing down the length from 10 to seven. If that's gonna be problematic, we can reconsider, but the, the bottom line is we need to take a look at whether or not this, especially since this is what you said in your submission, that it takes too long for, to, to hire a civil service position. That means that that could potentially be by work by, uh, done by a civil servant, a, uh, a civil service employee. So, in that sense, one, the feasibility to determine whether or not this is practical and um, feasible, um, and or an exploration to determine whether it's practical and infeasible, and two, whether the length of the contract needs to be adjusted or is it sufficient to have a check-in in, in uh, just four years. So those are the two issues, and you you tell me as far as um, the length if it's shortened, will that be a detriment, a significant detriment to the department? Um, I don't see that a feasibility study would be, but the length I can understand. So let me know, and so that I can formulate a motion whether it'll pass or not. I don't know. Hi, Commissioner. This is Helen again. Um, I hear your concern, and uh, I think if we check in within five years, and we'll take the uh, seven-year contract. Okay, so I would move. And in the meantime, we'll also do the feasibility study, as you are suggesting. Thank you very much. Okay, so I would move that we do a feasibility, or we have an exploration in whether or not they're not bringing this service in-house, either in part or in whole, in total. Uh, is feasible and practical, and then two, uh, approve the contract duration and the contract scope of work uh, with a check-in in five years. And of course, with the feasibility study, one of the things we didn't indicate at the last motion, but should um, indicate here, is that the results of the feasibility study would come back to the commission. Second. Okay. Um, we have a motion and a second to approve uh, 45219-2324 SFPUC uh, 
for a term of seven years with a check-in in five Hi. years. Sorry, um, Chandrea, would you, um, is there any way to get it approved at eight years and a check-in at five? That's what we did. She oh, said okay. eight years. I oh, thought you said seven. Oh, I'm sorry. Seven. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse mm -hmm. me. Uh, Commissioner. I, I'm, that, it's, eight years. Yeah, fine. fine. Okay. Um, we will, um, uh, the, the, the motion will be modified for an eight year term uh, with a five year check in and subject to a feasibility study to determine whether this work can be done by uh, existing classifications in SFPUC. If you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three now. This is for public comment. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay, and no public comment in the room. The roll call vote commissioners to approve 452192324. Vice President Favetti. Aye. And again, this is uh, an eight year term with a five year check in. Uh, Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. Okay, PUC, thank you for being here. Thank you for answering um, our questions. And we look forward to seeing um, your work on the feasibility study and the analysis. Okay, the next pooled contract is uh, Commissioner Leon. It's 45441-2324, Public Works. Who is with us from Public Works? Hi, good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, my name is Don Sai. I'm uh, with the contract administration team here at Public Works. Okay, thank you. Commissioner Leon. I just have one quick question. This is not specialized services that you're asking to be contracted out. This is based on demand, right, uh, and supply. In other words, uh, if you ha don't have enough staff in-house to do this work, you're proposing the work to be contracted out uh, for consultants to write these, uh, what do you call it? Um, Specification writing services. Yeah, spec writing. Uh, that's correct. Unfortunately, the project manager is out sick today. Um, and from the information that was given, that seems like the case that they um, don't have the staffing levels to be able to provide these services. Wait, say that again. I'm sorry. I missed your last point. Sorry. They don't have the staffing levels to provide these services. Okay. There's not enough staff to do this work, and that's why you're proposing on an as-needed basis to contract that work out. That's correct. Okay. That's it. That was my quick question. Okay. All right. I move I'm to sure approve. Make a motion. Yeah, Thank I move you. to approve. Second. Okay. Um, we have a motion uh, and a second to approve 454412324 Public Works. If you're in the room and you have public comment on this motion, you may come to the podium now. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay, and no public comment in the room. We'll move to the roll call vote. Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Carley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. We have approved 45441-2324 Public Works. Uh, Manager Sai, thank you for being with us. 
the next pulled contract is 48439-2324, Human Resources, Vice President Favetti. Hi. And, okay. Hello, I'm David Hebner, the HR Modernization Director at the Department of Human Resources, and I'm joined on the uh, call by Dr. Fiona Wilson, uh, Kirsten White, and Paul Chang. Okay. Thank you. Welcome. Um, yes, I was wondering uh, with regard to, this appears to be uh, taking or uh, augmenting our medical examination services. And I was wondering how far would it go? I mean, I'm thinking in terms of, are you going to be doing Title 22 medical exams? Um, and would you be also doing police and fire? And, um, and would that also include Sheriff's Department? Because I noticed that there's a slow down a, the most recent editorial about slow down in the sheriff department. Uh, so I was really concerned about whether or not this is going to assist in that and in speeding things up, not in this. I will let uh, Dr. Wilson talk about which job classes are uh, most uh, targeted uh, with this. I'm also thinking in terms of testing because I didn't see TB in, in and, I, and I'm not au courant and I'm hardly a medical professional. Um, but I did note also in another another article that there's a rise in TB, and I know that TB is usually tested for as far as Title 22 is concerned. Yeah, so, before um, I let uh, yeah, Dr. Uh, Wilson chime in, I think at a high level, really, this has uh, come out of a lot of our research on how to improve hiring and how to address some of the things that are it is, in, it, it, Yes, I yeah. honestly think it's a good excellent idea. And we're hoping to really be able to provide this type of testing where candidates are and meeting them where they are and having a larger geographic footprint. But I'll let Dr. Wilson chime in on which job classes are most pertinent. Yes, great. Thank you, commissioners, for having me. So this is really focused in particular at a lot of our city departments that are that contribute to the, the I'm going to call it the backlog to getting their required exams. The departments that are not really affected by this are police and fire and sheriffs. The uh, badged people, if you will, have some particular requirements that we are not addressing with this, but really we're looking at, you know, PUC, park and rec, could be health also. And yes, in terms of screening, it will have the required screenings depending on their requirements of the job and their exposure risk. Okay. Uh, we also within this contract are making sure to offer some required screenings, not just to to new employees, which is the main part of the discussion, but to existing employees who have, for example, asbestos exposure with their work. They're required by OSHA to have screenings that have not been, that are no longer offered through our occupational health at, at uh, San Francisco General. So we need uh, another vehicle to give them their required screenings. The sites that we're looking at with this PSC offer these screenings to our existing employees and then most importantly, the new employee hires. Well, thank you very much. But um, we, I noticed that you didn't mention any medical staff. You mentioned PUC, a number of other departments. I didn't hear medical staff too, because we have a significant shortage there and there's slowdowns in medicals there. Is it a possibility? It certainly is. I think we were thinking that uh, a lot of DPH employees will continue to seek their care at, at occupational health services at the general. They're welcome to, but they're welcome to use these other sites. In terms of when we sized this contract, we really thought about all the other departments, though each of the places that uh, we are looking at here have the capability to do, as you asked, TB skin tests. There's a number of ways to test for, for TB that uh, these other sites also offer. They offer the whole range of what would be needed depending on the location and the risk. 
And so, yes, they can do that for, for health employees. Practically speaking, in a nuts and bolts kind of way, how are you going to be operating? Are you going to be saying, okay, we have this, we do the testing, we do the medical clearance, and then are you going to be communicating directly to the departments? Or how is that going to work? Is it yeah, making yeah a great question. So the first thing we did in DHR is we actually updated the medical exams policy, and we've done a fair bit of detailing around that to all of our departments so they're aware that there's certain classes that need exams and there's certain classes that do not need an exam but have been getting them sort of more because of uh, historical practice than actually requirement. And they, the, our, our sister departments are all waiting to hear about where are their options because there's such a big, uh, essentially backlog, right? And that's really the intention here is to get people to an appointment, with, let's say within 10 days, not 60 to 90 days. And then going back to the uniform ranks of police, fire and other public safety uh, yeah. uh, classifications, um, has there been any discussion about maybe uh, supplementing what they have or um, do you know what you would need to do to be able to ramp up or? What I can say is that fire has their own in-house physician that does these. So they're a, that's not an issue. They do their own uh, 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 readiness to hire with their own clinical staff. I know that police also has an in-house physician who I don't think does any of these, but I can't confirm on that. So I've done less interacting with them since they have their own physicians in-house. Their own physicians in-house? Yeah, we have. there's a doctor in the fire department. There's a doctor also in the police department. No, but I mean, to do all their new employee hiring? In fire, yes. That's, and, that's and what they do. There's more than one provider. And what about sheriff? Uh, they do not. And so they've been using occupational health services. Okay. And is it possible that you could uh, do some kind of uh, supplement there to help them along too? Because I understand that uh, Sheriff Miyamoto has a significant hiring issue. Uh, it was in no, the newspaper I, over the weekend. I saw that too. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to say that we can't. I think we really want to help people get in. And so it's probably having a separate meeting with them about what are their other barriers and can these vendors meet those? I think these current vendors that we looked at really can meet a lot of the other city needs clearly. Okay, and this is only three years and 39 weeks. So are you, this is just like a pilot. Is that what you're thinking? Or are you just thinking about how are you, are you thinking in a long-term basis? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm going to turn to my PSC, my, my colleagues on this one, since I'm less the contracting expert, I think the intention was this, we wanted to get something going quickly because we hear so much pressure to get these exams soon and to do larger size was going to be a much longer process and might delay hiring yet further while we went for an even bigger, longer contract. Good afternoon, yeah. commissioners. Yeah, this is um, Paul Chang. I'm a uh, procurement manager with the Office of Contract Administration and working closely with the uh, Department of Human Resources on this contract. Uh, just a couple, if I could, just a couple quick points um, to the effect, to the question of whether this is a pilot or uh, like a longer term engagement. Um, the initial contract term is three years. So it's kind of because we haven't, I, you know, as far as I know, my understanding, uh, the city hasn't had such a contract um, like this. So it's, you know, it's our kind of our standard to, to you know, do it a, you know, like a three to five year initial term. And that's where we're, we're starting with the three year term. Um, we did actually, there was actually, um, if I can add to uh, what Dr. Wilson said, uh, we have been in touch um, with the police department as far as their specific uh, testing requirements. Um, and so we did actually uh, in our, for the contract that we will have coming or that we propose, um, we would actually have some of those, uh, those testing services available. So should, 
you know, whether backlog or should, um, you know, it, it just be um, beneficial for new hires or prospective. Yeah. So, so they will, we will have those uh, tests as part of these, this contract. Thank you. Well, good. Um, what I'm thinking is that uh, this ties right into uh, some of the work that we're been, we've been doing lately. And I'm trying to figure out if I should put this in a motion or should I put this as a commissioner request? So through the chair, Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was thinking in terms of reporting back, one, on the possibility of, particularly in the, the sheriff's department, since uh, it appears that they don't have the same kind of structure as the uh, police and fire, that's number one. And in view of the staffing issues that they are having recently, number two, and the fact that they're having some difficulty in the, getting their hires going, and then number two, could we start talking a little bit more with police and fire about perhaps augmenting their services as well as hiring um, uh, uh, for the uh, medical staff, even if it's just a report back. Mm -hmm. If you if we would prefer a motion as part of the motion or um, I think I think, request. I think Director Eisen has some input here. Director Eisen. Um, um, is that better? Is that better? Yes. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> Madam President, members of the commission, Carol Eisen, Human Resources Director. Um, I want to thank you, first of all, for your comments and make sure that what uh, Mr. Hubner uh, stated in his opening remarks doesn't get lost in the discussion of the details. And that is that the really the purpose of this contract is to address one of many bottlenecks in the hiring process. Um, and that is the need for medical exams where there is the need. The first thing that we did, as Dr. Wilson stated, is we reviewed whether or not medical, the instances in which medical exams are required and what the nature of those exams are. We found that there was, um, really, uh, uh, there was not a clear view of that. Uh, departments have been subjecting new hires to medical examinations, and in some instances where it's not needed, so we cleaned that up in terms of policy. And now we're looking to add capacity, um, not simply as redundancy for our existing uh, occupational health clinic, but to be able to improve the experience of people who want to come to work for us um, so that so that uh, applicants can actually go through a medical examination where needed um, in their own location from their own doctor through their own medical provider network or at a at perhaps a clinic that's a lot closer to where they happen to reside than the clinic at San Francisco and easier to access than the one at uh, San Francisco General Hospital. So I think this is long overdue. Um, we're going to give it a try. Um, if we can assist in terms of uh, uh, police, sheriff, um, we'd be happy to do it. We can work with those departments. Uh, we may have to come back to you for additional capacity. This really is a relatively small contract with a pretty short duration, um, but it's going to be deployed immediately um, as soon as we can get the uh, pieces in place. And I would go ahead and I would move to approve, with, and I'll include in my commissioner request, is that through the chair? I, I think that's the way to proceed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll include my commission request some follow up with regard to police, fire, and sheriff. 
as well as uh, medical staff and possible uh, expansion of this service. Um, anyway, so that, with that, I'm uh, moving to approve. And is there a second? Second. Uh, we have a motion to approve 48439-2324 uh, Human Resources. If you're in the room and you have public comment on the motion to approve 48439-2324, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Hey, Commissioners, the roll call vote to approve 4843923324. Uh, Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. We have approved 4843923324. Uh, Director Eisen and team, thank you very much. We are excited to see this on the agenda. It's an important linchpin in our efforts to accelerate hiring. So, all thank you for your work. And I think that was the last severed contract. So we are ready to move to the next agenda item. We are now on the regular agenda, item eight, proposed revised policy of the Civil Service Commission on personal service contracts, recommendation, adopt the report, post the proposed revisions to the Civil Service Commission policy and procedures for personal service contracts. Uh, thank you. Um, Executive Officer, will you initiate this discussion or our Deputy City Attorney? I would like to give the credit definitely to our Deputy City Attorney who has <laughs> spent extreme number of hours not only meeting with our department but city department citywide. And I have to say I also like to give recognition to uh, the contract attorney she has worked working with Gus. Also, uh, he may, I'm not sure if he's in our meeting, but um, there, are, I believe there may be several individuals from different departments who have much to share with the commission. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Deputy City Attorney. <laughs> Thank you, President Minor. Kate Kimberlin, Deputy City Attorney. And I'm actually appearing on video, which now I understand how awkward that is. You all have to do it every <laughs> every time. Um, I actually have a, um, a brief PowerPoint presentation that I want to go ahead and start with. Okay. Um, in addition, um, I did circulate a, a copy of the policy as was posted with the agenda with some additional red lines beyond what was included with the today's agenda. There's additional copies available for anyone who wants to, to grab a copy um, at the table here. But these red line changes that you have in front of you um, represent some additional um, edits that came after the agenda and the document were made available last week. Um, Many of them are, you know, clarifying remarks as opposed to changes to the policy, but I do want to call out in particular um, a change to category C5, uh, which, um, as I understand it, this is language that more clearly uh, states the type of off-the-shelf proprietary software that's intended to be 
accepted from the policy in this proposed revision and clarifies as well that it only um, applies to standard support which would accompany that software and those are things like your typical um, updates that come to software you know either automatically or in some type of routine basis as opposed to professional services which would be required to integrate the software into city systems and those types of professional services would still be coming to the commission under this proposed revised policy um, so that is one change uh, another substantive change uh, is to the um, potential category, the types of information that would be called for in standardized reports back to the commission. Um, you'll see there's some clarification in red line there as well as an additional uh, topic to include in those reports. And uh, those were requests made by Commissioner Salveson uh, to clarify, I think based on her, her significant experience, what type of information would be useful in those reports. And with that, I will go ahead and do the presentation, which will hopefully walk through what are the expected changes to the policy should the commission decide to adopt this or a similar version. And let's see if I can do this. So, as you know, uh, this civil service policy is uh, a document that the civil service itself maintains, and although it's framed as a policy document, it really does have the force and effect of um, ensuring that our city departments are bringing the right types of things to the commission on you know, a biweekly basis, and it's intended to uh, ensure uniformity. Um, unfortunately, the policy has not been updated since 2014. Um, most of you were here for our meetings on June 5th and August 21 of this year, where we heard from a variety of interested parties, departments, unions, regarding potential updates. And the goal of this policy, what really spurred it on was to try to create a, a clearer document that would allow our contracts administrators and employees in all of our departments across the city better understand what should be coming to the commission um, and as importantly what shouldn't necessarily be coming to the commission uh, and to align the policy both with existing practice uh, and advents in technology that are underway uh, with this new ServiceNow database. So I wanna talk a little bit about how the current practice works and then show you through a few slides how that would change under the proposed policy. Uh, as we know, the Civil Service Commission is responsible for reviewing, just as it did today, uh, the various PSCs that come before it and determining whether or not uh, the scope of work should be contracted out or whether or not we should have a new classification of employees to be created to do that work. Um, and there are currently a variety of exceptions under the current policy um, that uh, 
you know, to whether or not a department has to bring a PSC before the commission. And those are listed here on the slide. I don't necessarily want to go into all of the nitty gritty and I hope you'll feel free to ask questions afterwards. Um, but those the three main categories of things that currently don't come before the commission, and that would be the same three categories under the new policy, are where there is a law or regulation that means that this type of service simply can't be performed legally by city employees. Mostly um, that would fall into the category of intellectual property laws or contractual um, you know, breach of contract if we actually engaged in the work. Uh, there are past policy decisions that have been made by this body uh, exempting certain types of services from coming before it. Uh, and then there are simply policy decisions um, that could be made about whether or not a particular service can be performed by our employees either now or in the future. So we're going to go through um, the changes to the proposed policy. The first thing it does is to clarify um, it has a statement of kind of the legal authority of what the commission's role is that I think is clearer than what the prior policy had in terms of what the commission's role is. It's not a change in practice. It's not a change in the law, but I think it's hopefully a clearer statement that will allow not only this commission, but future iterations of the commission to understand its role, perhaps a little bit more clearly. Um, it also clarifies uh, the kind of factors that the commissioners you know, should be considering as a matter of law in terms of figuring out whether or not a particular service is one that can be done by employees or not. And again, that's not a change in the law. It's really just a, a clearer, simpler statement of the existing practice. And the new policy would also add clarification around emergency procedures. The current policy doesn't have anything on that topic. And as we learned during the recent COVID-19 pandemic, uh, there was a lot of need for urgent contracting and so the new policy seeks to create a, a framework for departments to come to the commission when they are dealing with seriously urgent requests. Um, in terms of the procedural changes to the policy, uh, the proposal will change what is currently a, a requirement that departments enter into the first contract under an approved PSC from 12 months to 18 months. It would um, allow the posting period, the seven-day public posting period, to run concurrent with the time that a PSC must be posted or made available to unions. So it effectively increases the time um, that it will be publicly posted rather than waiting for the period to run for the union and then publicly posting. We can just do those things at the same time, um, which will cut a week off of the process. Um, it removes the annual PSC from the policy because this is it's not a PSC pro um, approval that's been used. Um, I'm not sure ever. I couldn't find anyone who who could tell me of the last time that was used. Um, a lot of years ago. <laughs> and um, it also places a, a new framework for reporting as demonstrated by today's ratification agenda. Um, the commission has functionally created a process where it wants to have a report back uh, for lengthier PSCs. And so this would hopefully negate the need to pull 
PSCs from the ratification agenda for the purpose of confirming a report back, and it would simply implement a report back at a set period of time. And the commission could have could it could still pull a matter from the ratification agenda if it wanted to create a different reporting back scheme than what would be included in the policy, but it would simply create a uh, a default. Uh, and the hope would be that we could come up with a form, perhaps even for departments to use that would have those categories of information and it would be a stand, much more standardized process. So folks will know exactly what kind of information that we're looking for. Um, the next category of changes applies to um, how DHR reviews personal service contracts versus the commission. The current policy allows DHR to approve PSCs up to um, or less than $100,000. Uh, the new policy would increase that number. Um, this is uh, intended to come into line with how we value a uh, full-time employee within the city, what's their average salary with benefits. And um, the $100,000 number, my understanding is that originally came from the value of a single full-time employee and what their uh, what they would be expected to earn in the city. And so it makes sense to update this at this point in time. Um, the second change would be to how we process amendments. Um, it's currently a little bit convoluted, but um, right now amendments go to only DHR. They don't come to the Civil Service Commission. If the department is seeking 50% or less in change in the value um, and 50% or less in change in the duration of time. So as an example, if you have a, a, a 10 year approved PSC, DHR would be authorized under the existing policy to approve an extension of up to 50% of that, so five years. Under the proposed change, we'd actually be changing, getting rid of that 50% concept for time and changing it to a three year or less total duration. Um, the consensus was that this fit better with how we view project-based work within the city. Um, you know, if you look at a CAD 18, we typically say that should be work for three years or less. And so this aligns with that concept a bit better. It allows a lot more flexibility for departments that are dealing with shorter term PSCs to go to DHR while also bringing back to the commission those PSCs that um, perhaps have been sitting out there for longer than we thought. Um, the, the next set of changes has to do with, I think the, this is kind of the biggie, is what types of contracts, what types of, of transactions come to the Civil Service Commission and which can bypass that. And I wanna start this conversation by um, pointing out that just because something bypasses the Civil Service Commission does not mean that it is bypassing the process by which a contract has to be entered into the OCA contracting database by which a contract may be um, sent, you know, no, unions may receive notice of that contract. This does not change those, that function of that. What this does is um, tell a department what contracts also then need to come to us at the Civil Service Commission and which 
maybe going elsewhere. So the current practice, um, and some of these are in the existing policy and some of these are simply done by virtue of this is how we've always done them. And I think it's very important for us to, to put those in writing in our actual policy rather than simply relying on historical practice. So that's one of the things here is we wanna make sure we're listing all of these types of items. But currently this list on this slide are the types of contracts that do not come to the Civil Service Commission. And that includes uh, chapter six, uh, non-professional services contracts for public works, um, employee and retiree health benefit contracts with health system, um, and the list is here and available to you. I'm not gonna read every single one. Um, and the changes to the policy are what are in blue here. And so these would be things that would be added to the existing practice and policy that are not currently in process, you know, in action, in, um, in practice. And so the first would be Prop Q authority. And so these are one-time purchases up to $10,000. There's already a process in place for how these types of transactions are handled. These don't obviously come to the civil service because they already fall within under the $100,000 threshold. But again, as a matter of transparency and intending to clarify existing and um, existing practice and what it you know really should be, we, we felt it was important to include that in the policy. Um, and related to that would be contracts for services that are incidental to the purchase of goods. And we're talking about um, shipping, installation, things that are services, but that are minimal as compared to the cost of the actual commodity that's being purchased. And again, that would be in line with the, um, the purchaser's authority, which is currently $10,000. Um, and then there's some additional larger categories of transactions that the commission would be authorized to include in this policy. Um, these are within the commission's authority from a legal perspective to exclude from its review um, because as a practical matter, these are services that either you know, cannot or should not be performed by city employees, either for a legal or policy reason. And these include government contracts. So our contracts with the state or other locales, um, contracts where state or federal funding has a requirement that we use non-city staff. I think the example we were talking about recently was um, TSA personnel. So this is a a contract that we have with the federal government at our airport, we are required to use non-city employees to do particular work under those contracts. Um, or there's grant funding that we receive from the federal government that then is directed to particular uses. Um, the other large categories refer to that off-the-shelf proprietary software that was that change that we discussed at the beginning. Um, and these are the, I think the, the issue with this, with this type of contract is that there's been a lot of confusion about whether or not this is a commodity or whether or not this is a service. And this would seek to clarify that as long as the software, the proprietary um, software is only being subjected to, um, you know, kind of the, 
the day-to-day -day service as opposed to a professional service, then it remains in the category of being a commodity as, as opposed to a service. And similarly, um, contracts for installation. And as noted in the slide here, this is um, consistent with the continuing approval that the commission granted back in, I think, 2020. And that is it. And we can look at any of these slides if you'd like, but otherwise I'm tempted to turn off my PowerPoint and simply chat with you in a more informal manner. Vice President Favetti. I want to say thank you. This is a phenomenal effort. I'm really, and I'm particularly happy about the way you've reached the proprietary software and how you've worded that as off the shelf. I do have a couple of questions, though. Okay, one, uh, contracts for state and federal funding requirements specify the use of non-city personnel. I am particularly concerned about the number of disputes that we have had to take on in past years, maybe not so much this recently, where the federal government or so there are funding sources that require that we contract out with CBAs. And the question has always been the scope of work because that's exactly the work that is done by the city too. And the disputes that have risen therein. And so I am really reluctant in this case, to be perfectly frank, um, to that's something we've always reviewed and there's been um, an ability in the public session to be able to address the many of the concerns of both of the employees and the employee organizations that haven't been resolved in discussions. That's just one of my commentaries. Um, and then the other happens to be around, um, I was very happy to see this, where we have the dual posting and that you have added a statement where the PSC application is modified subsequent to posting. It must be available to the public for at least seven calendar days. And how is that going to be available? Um, I think that's really a, a question for our um, our technical folks, but I think the idea would be that if it's modified, um, we still would need to ensure that it's up on the website um, for at least seven days. Um, you know, in just to give an example, so if we have a contract that has to be, you know, give 30-day notice to the unions and it's posted simultaneously to the public and it's up there for seven days and at day 15, mm -hmm. um, it's subsequently modified based on meet and confer with the union. Um, that modification gets posted, you're still well within the seven day posting period. And so it doesn't have any effect. I mean, you, you still get more than seven days being available to the public. I think your only instance in which you're gonna come into a potential, um, have a potential issue is where there's a modification less than a week before the matter is set to be heard at mm -hmm. the commission, mm -hmm. uh, in which case it might have to be um, put off to the next meeting um, in that instance. But that's something that I think we would be aware of and we would make sure that it's agendized appropriately. Okay, and then um, I did want to add one thing and that's to section eight, add number six, because I would like to have something added. Uh, and that would be uh, that the reporting requirements would be additional information as requested by the commission. So let me have that. Um, and then 
I'm sorry, uh, Vice President Favetti, were you adding that? Uh, to uh, section eight reporting requirements, item number eight. Okay. Uh, additional information as requested by the Civil Service Commission. Um, I think, of course, I'm really concerned about some of the oversight on some of these, um, but you know, we can always go back and change it if we need to. Um, but I'm particularly concerned about number eight because of the number of disputes that have come before this commission on these. Um, so that's, uh, and I think, hold on a second, make sure I didn't come on my notes because you changed some of the things I had concerns about. <laughs> okay. Um, Good. <laughs> um, okay, well, there you go. that's done. And yes, okay, in the FTE, that's done. And that's done. Okay. Yep. Got it. Okay. We can come back to you, uh, Vice President Favetti, Commissioner Salveson. Thank you. Also, I would like to thank our city attorney for all the work and all the people who she consulted as well. Um, <clears throat> through this process, you know, I've learned about the OCA contracting database, and um, which is great, and I think makes this um, policy change make a lot of sense. But I do think it's important that our policy recognize the fact that, um, in part, it's, it's foundational that uh, a, a PS, a contract that otherwise would come before us is going to be um, entered into the OCA contracting database and that it must select uh, which exemption that's specified in our policy that it believes it comes under because I understand that's a somewhat transparent database and that unions will get notice of it and the commission will have the ability to audit it or seek reports and I think that's um, it's important but for me I would support the policy so long as we have in there that you know entry into the contracting database and the selection of one of the um, recognized exemptions, you know, has occurred. Right, and I think that is, that's currently how it works as well. They, they receive notice of that one way or the other in terms of whether or not, if they say, oh, this is a contract that doesn't need to go to the Civil Service Commission, that's already part of the existing process. Um, as I understand it in the way ServiceNow will work, if a department selects you know, no, this doesn't require a civil service commission PSC approval, then they'll next be prompted to select from a pre-selected drop-down list of reasons. And from there, it may go even further depending on what reason they choose. Um, you know, it's kind of a decision tree that requires them to complete that information, um, especially, you know, when we're talking about the um, off-the-shelf proprietary software, they're going to need to explain what, you know, is it really just the standard kind of maintenance to the product that we're acquiring with our software, or is it also professional services that would require it to come to us? And so um, I, I did include a red line in the red line of, of provision about it's still um, continuing to enter those into the citywide database. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my... Um... <clears throat> My concern about this is since the Civil Service Commission has no ability to uh, require changes to the OCA contracting database, our policy, I think, has to uh, 
um, provide that, um, you know, these things have to happen in order to qualify for our exemptions. And um, we have a special guest here from OCA. I'll let her introduce Hi. herself. Hi, I'm Karen Amoyed with the Office of Contract Administration. Um, I just wanted to clarify um, something that you just said. Would you be able to go back to the slides, the last slide? So currently, um, when we have a continuing approval for three of the categories you saw up there, proprietary equipment maintenance and installation, uh, proprietary so off-the-shelf SaaS software as a service, and proprietary software support. When you select one of these, the unions are notified. When you submit your contract, the unions are notified. So the idea is to essentially add the additional categories, two additional categories, which are government entities and federal funding or state funding to that drop-down list. And then when you choose from that, unions will be notified. The big difference is that it wouldn't be a continuing approval per se, it would just be an exempt category. Um, and I did provide screenshots of what that would look like as well as an actual union notification email. So you can see that the information they get the notification will also include a copy of the contract, which has the scope of work. So they're able to see it and determine if, you know, whatever was being said is not actually correct. Yeah, and I, I think that's great. And so long as it stays that way, then our policy is good. But if it if it were changed or to change or to go away, then our policy would have to be reconsidered and wouldn't necessarily apply. In my view. Yeah, I guess that's actually, I'm glad you mentioned that. And thank you so much for your input on this too, because that was one of the questions we had a number of meetings ago about the public friendliness of this database and whether or not it was actually, you know, the last time we looked at it, it didn't look very accessible. And we were hoping, I was hoping that that would um, be significantly improved. So ServiceNow itself, the application is limited to city employees. However, the email that it sends can go to anyone in the world. And that email contains the information that you see in that screenshot. It can also contain more information. It's basically the relevant fields from the entries, as well as any attachments like the contract, the scope of work, whatever, whatever they upload. So rather than going, like right now, rather than going into a PSC database, you have the benefit of getting a nice little email with all of the information, all of the attachments, and you can review it that way. Right, Additionally, excuse me, just to, just to make, because my question is zeroing in on specifically what was agreed to so many years ago that the actual contract would be available to the public. And so is that done in a user-friendly manner? The actual, so that's a separate question. So I can just talk about this part of it and then I can get to that. So this email sends, is sent to the unions and it has the information that I just shared. You can also report from ServiceNow and the reports will be made public. In other words, we're never gonna let the public go into the, to our um, Chapter 21 application, nor are we gonna let them go into your PSC application, right? But they can see summary of the information that's in the application through a report format. So that's, that is the current case now and that, can, that will continue being the current case. Lastly, you're asking about the actual physical contract being made public. That's a whole separate item. That's something that the controller's office and systems, controller systems would have to get involved with and determine if they can do that. 
I imagine there's going to be legal issues around that, what needs to be redacted, what shouldn't be redacted. They could have sensitive information. So that's a whole other level of public sharing information. Uh, and, and I think that what, uh, maybe I should qualify, what we get is a report of the contracts issued. And that's when something that we've always wanted to be able to go, have it go to a centralized database that's accessible to the public because it's just the name. That's all it is. It's basic information. And I'm wondering if that has ever been done so that the public can access it and we don't have to do that. The public can, we can't, again, they don't share the application, they don't go into the application. No, I'm asking can, only the name of the contract, right. the amount, yes. the duration. Yes, every field in ServiceNow, it's mm -hmm. a database. So every field, imagine a very big Excel file with a thousand columns, right? I think more than 550 fields, quite frankly, so does at least 550 columns. You can, it's all data. So in terms of reporting that data, you can extract which fields you want the public to see and it generates a report with those fields, which can include obviously supplier name, department name, department contract admin if you want, the not to exceed amount. Literally every field is reportable. It's just a matter of deciding which fields you want to share with the public. Okay, the next question is on the health uh, issues. Uh, you're saying that that's, because uh, I have some significant issues on that. The, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear this you. This is the, um, let's see, where's your, Oh, it's a uh, contracts where the state or federal funding requirements specify the use of nine city personnel. Oftentimes that means CBAs, and we've had so many conflicts about that that come to this. If the communion is notified, technically with this, it means that there's no appeal to the commission. And so how do the issues get resolved? Are you going to be sending so, that to an arbitrator? Yes. Yeah, so each contract, when you have grant funding, you are required to make the grant funding information, terms and conditions, part of the agreement. It's an actual appendix to the agreement. The notification email that I have the screenshot for, that email includes the contract. So a curious individual can open the contract, go to the grant funding section appendix and read it and determine if the funder is actually not stating that it needs to be outsourced. No, you're not answering my question. Um, I'm looking at the scope of work. This is what we have reviewed in the past, and that's what's been at dispute mm -hmm. in these types of contracts where the scope goes beyond. And if there is a dispute, are you sort of be sending these out to arbitration? Okay, because this is normally something that was normally at the commission. So then if they are using it in a way that's not appropriate under the exemption, then arguably they're not exempt and they should go to a full commission through and the how does commission it process. Well, I mean, we hope that city employees are truthful and pick the answer based on the parameters that we give them. So we will give them parameters that says, if you're using this, these are the things that must exist. If they make a mistake or if somebody disagrees, the unions will be notified and they can say, no, that's not correct. You're going beyond the scope. You've exceeded the, what this exemption covers. Therefore, you need to go to the full commission. I mean, that's, again, if they're not an exempt category, if they're not falling under the exempt category, they shouldn't be selecting it. I mean, you could say the same thing about commodities I, contracts. I actually agree with every single thing in this, this proposal except that. And the reason <laughs> is we've had so many that have gone out of scope and that there have been negotiations where much of the services come in-house. 
let me, if we could just take that example and just replace the word grant funding with commodities. Somebody picks the, the NA reason is it's a commodity contract, right? Because commodity contracts don't come here. Um, again, OCA reviews it, and if we determine that there is more than commodities, we would we would tell them. But in this particular case, if you're saying that the, the, the answer is not so obvious and it's more nuanced, do you think that the unions would understand that nuance and therefore when they're given the opportunity to object, they will do so? Or are you saying they're not going to be able to pick up on those nuances and the full commission needs to be the one to decide those nuances? What I'm saying is that this is something that was normally in a, in a, in a, a personal services contract. It was full, fully vetted. It was open. It was public. I do not see that what you're, you're proposing for this particular type is as public as it needs to be. And that's just my opinion. Okay. I don't think, and I'm concerned about, I am very concerned about the scope of work that goes beyond what is, and it's particularly with regard to the CBAs. It's the CBAs where, indeed, that's the same kind of work that city employees do. And oftentimes, in both the Health and Human Services and Department of Public Health, where those CBAs and those particular types of contracts have gone beyond. And as a result of the discussions with employee organizations, the, the, the scope of work has been changed. And then there's been some disputes that have come here. And I, I get, uh, Commissioner, if I could chime in, I'm having a little trouble understanding exactly where your concern is, although the last comment was helpful to me. What I don't understand is under the, irrespective of this change in policy, under our current system, the department still is required to fill out those forms, check those boxes. It is self-certification as OCA mm -hmm. um, pointed out, it will still be the same thing. And the contracts managers and the people who work with them are responsible for populating those fields. It'll still be the same right. exactly. issue if, um, anybody a union any objector believes that we've that scope is being exceeded that's still something as i understand it that would be under the jurisdiction of this commission and it would get to you in the same manner as anything else would get to you okay so that's what i'm saying if it's exempted you're saying it's exempted and we are not reviewing it then how does it get to us The unions are notified, so that would be one no, source. No, you're not, you're not you're, a, we can also add the full commission, every everybody's emails to that email as well. As I mentioned, the email can go to whoever you want. So you're welcome to get a copy of it as well. Okay. Why don't, why don't we hold on for a minute? Uh, Commissioner Favetti. Oh, no, actually, it's... Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Sure. I think... Um, <clears throat> Think we're talking past each other and saying the same thing which is that if something is truly exempt then it's exempt right what you're concerned about is a misuse of the process and how does the commission become aware of that misuse and how does it step in to to and proceed in this kind of correct for example. for example exactly but it could theoretically happen with other categories as yeah. well but I, I understand your concern about this one in particular yeah. um and i think the answer to that is that if if an interested party believes that there that a department is not following the commission's policy then it could seek a review by this commission so it would have to file some type of action with the commission I'm, i don't know whether that would be specifically an appeal 
Um, I'm trying to figure out the mechanism. Right. And I, I think that's the question is what's what's the precise mechanism that it comes back? What triggers a, a action to the commission? I don't know if the executive director has any thoughts on on that in terms of how we would become aware that a department is contracting around the PSC approval process if we've ever received an appeal like that. The appeals we have received on uh, PSCs were usually having to do with uh, unions stating that the work can be performed by city employees. And just in listening into this conversation, um, my first thought is that it would have to come in as a complaint uh, to the Civil Service Commission. And as we review each complaint, um, the executive officer will make the determination to schedule this before the commission. But I'm only thinking of the top of my head because I see what Commissioner Favetti is pointing out that if the unions are aware and we say it's exempt, um, the unions would have to be informed. This is where who you would go to or if they see that it, the, it has gone beyond the scope of what was it originally planned for? If I may, would it be appropriate then to add, because there's language um, in the policy, um, section 3C, where we've listed all the numbered um, potential exemptions. And then I wanted to address Commissioner Salveson's concern. There's language I've added in red line just before the new section, before section four, that says um, departments will continue to enter contracts. I was proposing potentially changing will to must. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. mm -hmm. um, and then we could add a sentence after that, indicating that, um, you know, if a party or, you know, something, I don't know if you, the inspection service would be a service there, but the commission uh, maintains authority over. It's not just entry into the system, it's also designating which exemption there's, they're claiming. And I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, at the bottom here, I'm not sure it emphasizes how important it is. I mean, I would put it more in the, well, I don't know. I would just like it more clear that it's, mm -hmm. um, sort of a condition of this policy that, I mean, we're adopting this policy because we know that um, the contracts that are being exempted are, are being subject to other scrutiny and including our ability to scrutinize it through mm -hmm. the contract system. If I could just add um, one thing regarding that right now in our um, in OCA's contract application for every program, regardless of whether it's civil service or any other city program, when you pick NA not applicable, you have to pick from the reasons that we provide and it's always a limited list. There's no open text. So if you're not able to pick from one of those, you can't pick an NA option. So that would be the same here. They have to pick from one of these NA options and then that would also trigger the notifications to the union. I think that's great. My only concern is if somebody comes along and changes the system, that undercuts our policy. Right. So I want to be clear that our policy doesn't okay. apply. That's the so we can we can include the the statement of um, 
specifying the exemption and then also perhaps maybe include and we can move it up above the kind of yeah. list in terms of where it is and we can also say something to the effect of um uh, you know go ahead carol may, may i just unless i'm misunderstanding something i believe that the drop down list in oca's database is ties to your policy so for personal services contracts these are now the reasons because the source document would be this policy i don't think it would change um, without the commission changing its policy that what would be the basis for I understand that I've, you don't control it. I've worked for it. too many clients where yes. the president of the organization changes and all the rules change. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a possibility. Understood. So, you know, perhaps there could just be a mechanism or an agreement between uh, the OCA and this commission that that would not be changed unless this commission is notified or something of that nature. Because I, uh, I understand the risk mitigation, but the the relationship is the policy is what drives the drop down menu correct? correct and that's true of every section in our application for every program the program owner is responsible for the content of that section so we wouldn't be able to just i mean we could but we wouldn't just change a program's um, selections or answers or choices or questions without their input and permission but I understand your desire to add that because in 10 years, no one will remember this conversation and who knows what will happen. So yeah, exactly. I agree. And I think it's important for a new person or a member of the public looking at our policy to understand why we're okay with um, not reviewing these, these contracts. Uh, and then maybe complaints so that uh, the uh, scope has gone beyond the exemption the authority of the exemption shall be uh, submitted to the Civil Service Commission. Right, I was talking with some language, something, um, you know, complaints regarding misuse or failure to comply with the policy may be lodged with the executive director. I, I don't know if we want to necessarily grant a new appeal right. That I'm doesn't not, feel like the right terminology. But, but a complaint can come under, if it goes to the Civil Service Commission staff, it could actually be an inspection service. Mm -hmm. And then that could or could not go to the Civil Service Commission. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there should be something that says if it's gone beyond scope, there needs to be some kind of resolution to that. Must be, there must be some way to be able to resolve that kind of mm -hmm. an issue. And employee organizations don't always, you know, anyway, there we go. It may, may not comprehend, or, or the ordinary person after having to listen to city staff as a member of the public, I myself, oh my gosh, do I talk like that? <laughs> um, so that so the average person could understand what would be the result, resolution, the possible resolution. Okay. Um, that, Executive Officer Ng, you, your hand is raised. Uh, yes. I just wanted to go back to Commissioner Favetti's question about the seven-day posting. Um, the fact that we do the seven-day posting the same time unions are notified, I think that is great. Some of the things I do want to make sure that even uh, Commissioner Favetti had us thinking that what if through the a union notification, the uh, the PSC 
changes, we still need to make sure there's the seven day posting. And let's say we're at the seven last seven days of the union notification. And let's say there's only maybe three days left and there's some agreement that the department has to change the PSC. Will it be ServiceNow who will automatically signal that this cannot be heard by the commission yet because of the required seven day posting? Those are, those are technical requirements that we could build in. Okay. So those are just procedural um, requirements and you, yes, we could build in rules that say something to that effect mm -hmm. based on your criteria. I believe DHR already would do it that way. I think that's the current practice. I'm, I'm looking to uh, DHR on the audience and getting confirmation that that's <laughs> the existing practice already as well. And my other question had to do with, I've also had departments after DHR has a seven day posting, after DHR has already submitted the whole PSC packet and we have already sent out notifications, they have requested to change uh, a job, I mean, a description of services or anything like that. Um, will ServiceNow already prevent departments from making any changes until they come before the commission? Once the record is submitted, it's a workflow. So once you submit a record, only the individual who's at the next level, who's who's the reviewer, is has any access to the record in terms of doing things to it. Um, to what extent they can make changes, we can talk about that with DHR. But generally, the idea is that once you submit a record, you don't change any. You can't change anything. Everything is grayed out. The reviewer either review accepts it and moves it forward to the next stage or sends it back, rejects it and requires changes to be made. So that's how most of the workflows work and it would be something similar to that. So with regard to your example, um, depending on who the reviewer is, if it's, at, if it's already gone past DHR and now it's with um, the uh, civil service office staff who are doing their part, making the agenda, um, they can always send it back to the reviewer or they can send it back to DHR. They can essentially reject it back one or two levels. I just wanted to make sure that the public would see the actual final document, which is during that seven day posting and whatever the public sees is what the commission will be looking at. So. Uh, commissioners, any additional questions? Uh, Commissioner Salveson. I was just going to throw out possible language um, on my issue, uh, which would provide that the exemptions from PSC review are conditioned on entry into the OCA contracting database and specification of the exemption claimed. So the only um, the only issue is that we have to be clear about which categories we're talking about because not all of these are categories of contracts that necessarily go into or you know currently go into that database. And so, do we do want we to know clarify which ones those are? Um, which ones currently go through it? Which ones don't go into the OCA database? Um, for example, I don't think Public Works 
contract? Chapter six, yeah, chapter right, six. the items on that first slide. Those are all under special authority, like chapter six, chapter 21G, those are for grants, um, contracts with the treasurer, retirement board. They all have their own special authority, those contracts. They're not chapter 21, so they don't go through us. It's the so chapter the, 21 service contracts. That so it's the, new, it's, the, it's the other ones. The other ones. <laughs> so we could, for example, drop a footnote, you know, or a star kind of on the ones that do go through OCA's process that currently go through it and include that language as a kind of condition, you know, we can say with these ones, this is what this is requiring. Um, I'm also happy to add a provision about how, um, how we would handle kind of complaints mm -hmm. about the issue in terms of reaching out to the commission's, you know, executive director for a potential inspection service. Um, and I think that would go in that same, like with that same language. I said, hey, uh, any additional uh, comments or questions, uh, commissioners? Just a point of clarification, when we say uh, contracts between city and other governmental government entities, are we including regional governments and JPAs? You should ask your city attorney, but I think um, there's a government entity ordinance that is being passed and it would probably be the same definition as that ordinance. Oh, it's um, currently and being passed? Right, it's not related to civil service because it's charter authority and all of that, uh -huh. but um, the, there is a definition of government entities that they will be using for that ordinance, so I think the idea is to be consistent and use the same definition. Um, but it does include um, other municipalities, federal government, state governments, as well as quasi-governmental entities. Um, so, but I'm going to defer to your city attorney on that. Give me an example of a quasi-governmental entity. Um, for example, uh, UCSF. Um, Gus, if you're still on the line, would you mind assisting us on this question? Hi, Deputy Attorney Gus Gibert, I'm a contracts expert. Um, the, the construing government entity is pretty widely. Basically, it's a public entity doing good for the public, has their own hiring system. We would consider them as a government entity. You were a bit muffled. Can you try that one more time? Sorry about that. Um, basically, any entity that is chartered by law or regulation that's basically doing the good for the public is going to be a public entity, whether it's a nine-member regional water board, whether it's the state of California, whether it's the TSA, the government, as you are probably well aware, is large and it comes in many facets, but the intent is if it's a legally created body for the public, then it'll be a government entity. And that's the definition that's in the proposed um, legislation right now? The definition is um, more clear, but it's also intended to be very widely interpreted. Okay, thank you.
commissioners, any um, any additional comments or questions about the proposed revised policy for PSCs that are in, that's in front of you? Okay, so our city our city attorney for today's meeting uh, prepared a red line that we've used for discussion. I guess the question is, um, do we act today or do we ask that we bring back um, a document that incorporates the red lines, but in addition, the changes that we've agreed to uh, per the discussion today? Um, Vice President Favetti. I think it would be helpful. I know it's taking uh, two more weeks, but uh, I think it would be helpful so that we just just have every, it just settles in a little bit better. Um, I'm, I don't know that we won't think of any other questions in between times, but I think it would be a good <laughs> I'm happy to bring it back if that's your preference. I do think from a legal position, it's very similar to the rules amendments. And so oftentimes the commission will make changes mm -hmm. the day of in red line or, can, you know, there's an agreed to set of changes mm -hmm. and you can make a motion to, to post with those changes incorporated. Mm -hmm. um, so, but it's entirely up to you how you want okay. to proceed. Um, there is oh, one other a point of clarification that I need. Um, the change from 100,000 to 200,000 for DHR's authority. Um, at some point when this issue was first discussed, I thought I was told that SEIU specifically has 100,000 in its MOU. So how is that issue going to be addressed? Um, that's a great question. The, the commission does not have authority to change the MOU with SEIU. Right. The agreement with SEIU is still that they would receive um, notice and that this commission would adjudicate PSCs of $100,000 or more with respect to contracts that would impact their bargaining unit. Um, the change in the policy would allow um, DHR and OCA to work within the confines of the policy. It may give them authority that they don't have with respect to particular unions, but that's up to DHR and OCA to administer um, and ensure that they're complying with the MOUs. This doesn't um, mandate that they do something beyond that. It would simply authorize them to, to, to go up to that level in the event that in the future, the MOU is changed to increase that amount with that particular union. Um, the exist, this current policy as amended would simply allow them to move in lockstep on that, but it wouldn't mandate that they move any faster or ever, frankly, with respect to a union that doesn't come into agreement with a particular term. Okay, so uh, the commission taking action and approving a new policy that has the $200,000 limit for DHR does not mean that the policy, at least that segment of the policy, uh, must be subject to meet and confer with SEIU? Um, 
No, it doesn't change the, it, it, it wouldn't be impacting in my, I'm, I'm going to take a step back. That's up to DHR and in SEIU to work out in terms of whether or not there's any identified impacts for them to work through. Um, however, I don't think anything in this policy would mandate that DHR act in a way that's in any way different um, than what the MOU calls for. Okay, uh, Commissioner Crawley. As a follow-up to uh, Madam Chair, just has anyone had a discussion with any of the locals or uh, groups, unions, with respect to uh, any language similar or different in other CBAs? Well, I guess my general question is, has anyone had a discussion with SEIU first? That's outside my uh, <laughs> lane, so I'm not going to speak to that. Um, this has been made available. I mean, we've been having this discussion at the various commission meetings, and we've certainly heard from various um, interested parties. I don't think anything in the proposed policy changes the terms of any MOU. Uh, Madam President, um, Director Eisen. The, thank you. The policy has uh, no impact on the the um, MOU requirements, which vary from labor agreement to labor agreement. Certainly, SCIU has been present um, as you've been deliberating, and once you've adopted the policy, and by the way, from my perspective, uh, it seems that the amendments you want to make would not be uh, deeply significantly substantive and that it's ripe for adoption for posting today with the uh, as amended uh, which i assume you're going to do and once we've done that we would certainly send out the new policy for informational purposes and if any union wishes to assert meet and confer we would evaluate it at that time but i would not expect that it would meet any of the uh, tests for even impacts because it doesn't um, in any way impinge on the rights that uh, labor organizations have in the collective bargaining agreements. Okay, thank you. Uh, Commissioner Salveson. Uh, <clears throat> on the same point, I was just going to say that we could put a footnote or a phrase in connection with the, the 200,000 200, raising of the limit to say that, um, you know, something like unless otherwise, unless other legal, unless other legal requirements um, require the matter to come before the commission or something it, like it that. It actually has that language. Oh, it does? It does. Okay. All right. Well then, never mind. <laughs> can, I, can I also address that in the system, um, if we do move forward with the 200,000, the notification period to the unions does not change because of the fact that DHR can approve up to $200,000. The union notification periods remain unchanged, and you notice the policy doesn't even address that because that's an MOU matter and it's not part of any of the changes that we're talking about. So SCIU will still get their 60 days, um, you know, if it's above this amount and, you know, seven days, if it's this, so none of that will change. This is just the DHR approval. Um, and if I may, there's um, somebody, texted me a point to make that I just want to share with regard to the grant funding um, matter. So whenever you have grant funding, whether it's a purchase order or contract, your city attorney is required to review the grant terms. Um, and in that sense, if there's concern about the scope of work exceeding 
um, what the grant requires, the city attorney's office is technically reviewing that transaction and would have would have the opportunity to tell the department. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that addition. Um, okay, uh, commissioners, any additional questions? And if not, um, we are open for next steps, either bringing um, a clean copy back uh, for approval at our next meeting, or if you are ready to do so, uh, a motion to adopt. Vice President Favetti. Oh. <laughs> I sort of wanted to have a clean copy, although I know we do, uh, I, I feel generally pretty comfortable with it. Um, and I absolutely trust our city attorney. <laughs> so I guess I could move if there's no objection okay. to adopt with, uh, with the current amendment. Would you like to spec would you like me to specify the amendments that I've caught to ensure that I'm getting everything? Yes. Thank you. Um, so the red line copy which the commissioners have and which has been made available to the public as well here today um, contains some of the changes, but in addition to those red line changes, um, we would further amend um, that the paragraph um, at the end of section 3C would be moved up to the beginning um, before the, the list of types of contracts. And we would include language with respect to those items that currently go through the OCA contract database um, that the exemptions are conditioned upon entry into the database um, the contract's entry into the database and specification of the exemption claimed. And we would also include language um, that um, complaints concerning the exemptions <laughs> claimed may be made to the executive director of the Civil Service Commission for potential uh, service inspection review. There would be an additional category of information for reports to the commission, which would be number seven, additional information as requested by the commission. That's all I got actually. <laughs> Need to footnote because it's already there. Well, observing that the um, whatever policy we adopt can always be amended later, I would move um, that we adopt and post. Do we post this? We, are we adopting it too or just posting? <laughs> posting. Okay. So, um, yeah, I would move that we... Um, post the red line policy with the changes described by our city attorney. Second. Okay, we have a motion and a second to um, post the proposed uh, policy revisions for PSCs uh, subject to the amendments made on the floor today and confirmed 
by our city attorney. If you are in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium now. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three. President Minor, we do have one caller on the line. Uh, just a minute, Elizabeth. Sir, do you have public comment on this matter? Yes. Please announce yourself. Oh, yes, my name is Dante Vickers. I represent Local 1414. Um, I'm not very sure if this is the right form as far as how I believe <clears throat> the union should be here or before you guys adopt the policy, um, you know, the union should really know about everything that's going on. Cause I've been following this for the past couple of weeks um, since I guess you guys sent it out October the 20, the October 20th. And I really don't understand everything. Even right now, as you, got, you guys are talking, I don't understand everything. So I'm sure all the unions that would, if they were here, right? If you guys would, was, to explain it, or you guys, the um, excuse me, the um, the lawyer, right? The lawyer um, can explain it because I really don't understand it. I mean, I understand it's a lot of redlining. I understand it's a lot of things that's being added to it and taken away, but I don't feel it's the right thing to do as far as oh, uh, overall view um, with the coming from a union perspective. I'm just, I don't, I don't know how to say the right, the proper words, whatever to, I just need more understanding. That's it. That's all. That's it. Thank you. Um, thank you for your public comment. Um, our executive officer, Sandra Ng, is going to be available to any union representative who has a question about the commission's revised policy. Um, Elizabeth, we're ready for public comment that's on the telephone. Okay, um, I'm gonna unmute the caller now. Caller, please state and spell your name for the record. Good afternoon, Commission. It's Naj Daniels, um, um, field representative with SEIU 1021. Uh, my comment is that I appreciate all of the uh, deep conversation around the uh, amendments of this policy. Um, I also, I'm kind of in the same vein as Mr. Vickers who spoke before, but I will reach out to the executive director. I think that we will want to have a conversation um, where it can be the union and the executive director, and you can give us maybe a deep dive or explanation and kind of answer some questions that we may have around possible impacts from this policy. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, Elizabeth, are any additional public commenters on the telephone? No public comment at this time. Okay, thank you. Uh, commissioners, uh, the roll call vote on the pending motion uh, to uh, adopt the report approving the revised um, policy on PSCs for posting. Uh, Vice President Favetti. Aye. Uh, Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. We have uh, adopted as per the amendments today, the proposed new policy for uh, PSCs, um, it will be posted. 
thank you. Thank you um, for the discussion. I'd also like to thank our city attorney for the months of work that has gone into developing this revised policy. And uh, we all are looking forward to an implementation, successful implementation. Thank you. Okay, executive officer, we're ready for the next agenda item. Item nine, appeal by Alfonso Jamal Ramirez of the rejection of the 9139 transit supervisor examination recommendation of the director of transportation, adopt the report and deny the appeal by Ramirez. Okay, um, CMTA, is the appellant here? Yes, I'm on the phone. I just was in the room, but I had to step out. Okay. Oh, I see, yes. Um, appellant Ramirez, uh, thank you for being here. Uh, we will start this hearing with um, a presentation by MTA, and then we will uh, give you an opportunity to uh, present uh, your appeal, and then uh, the commissioners will ask both parties questions. Um, we're ready for MTA. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Shivani Nath and I'm the Examinations and Classification Manager at the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency. <clears throat> I'm here today to present on the matter of case 0169-23-4 regarding the appeal of rejection by applic applicant Alfonso Jamal Ramirez for 9139 Transit Supervisor. The SFMTA posted an examination announcement for the Transit Supervisor Class Code 9139 on June 21st, 2023 and closed the job ad on July 5th, 2023. The minimum qualifications for this position requires five years of full-time verifiable experience with a large public transit system performing duties equivalent to one or more of the following classifications with the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency. 9122 Transit Information Clerk, 9124 Senior Transit Information Clerk, 9126 Transit Traffic Checker, 9128 Senior Transit Traffic Checker, 9139 Station Agent, 9132 Transit Fair Inspector, 8121 Transit Fair Inspector Supervisor slash Investigator, 9136 Transit Training Specialist or 9163 Transit Operator. <clears throat> Clarifying notes in the MQs in indicated that experience driving school buses, tour buses and small vans is not considered qualifying experience. No appeals were received regarding the minimum qualifications on the announcement. Ramirez applied for this recruitment on June 22, 2023. Ramirez is currently employed by us and is appointed to class code 9163 as a transit operator. <clears throat> Ramirez was credited for possessing four years and six months of experience under the minimum qualifications as 9163 is recognized as a classification that provides relevant work experience toward minimally qualifying for the subject 9139 recruitment. Ramirez had listed two other work experiences that were not counted. The first one was at Keller Williams as a real estate agent because it did not provide relevant experience. The second one was for blue bus tours as a tour bus operator because tour bus operators are not currently or have not been historically considered qualifying. 
This is consistent with job ads dating back to 2009. Ramirez listed on their application that they accepted and processed fares, transported passengers along prescribed routes, inspected emergency equipment, and verified safe working order of the bus. While the experience gained as a tour bus operator may appear relevant on face value, it does not provide the full breadth of experience necessary. According to our SME, tour bus experience is not equivalent to working as the 9163 transit operator with a large public transit system because transit operator experience is a time point based service where operators are expected to stay on schedule to get to a public transit stop, maintain proper spacing between buses and to get riders from one point to another timely to meet connecting modes of transportation. Transit operators also need to maintain close contact with the Integrated Control Center, ICC, and ICC coordinates management of the entire transportation network to enhance efficiency, safety, and overall management of transportation systems. While a tour bus operator may relay to a form of an ICC, such as a dispatcher, it is not equivalent to a transit operator with a large public transit system where coordination is key to maintaining on-time performance and overall success of services, making heightened awareness of surroundings and effective communication skills in stressful situations a critical skill from day one in the job. This experience is deemed critical for success in the transit supervisor position at FTA. Ramirez was still six months shy of relevant work experience. He did participate in the interactive process with our exams analyst, Suzanne Wong, and submitted additional documents. During this process, Ramirez submitted two pay stubs uh, to show earnings um, 12318 12, and 12218. Um, and the, the pay stubs didn't provide any additional information to change your original determination. As such, as of today, Ramirez is still shy six months of relevant work experience. Uh, SFMTA respectfully requests that the commission deny his appeal of rejection for the 9139 transit supervisor recruitment. I am here today to answer questions that you guys might have. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you for the presentation. Uh, commissioners, any immediate questions? Otherwise, we'll turn to the appellant and then have questions for both sides. Okay. Um, appellant Ramirez. Yes. Uh, we are ready. We're ready to hear uh, your issues on appeal. Correct. Now, as um, the representative from SFMTA mentioned, I heard her say that tour bus experience is not qualified, and I understand that. However, I have one more year of experience with MV transportation, and at the time of uploading my application, I mean, uploading my resume for the application, I thought I uploaded the resume that reflected the one year of experience, which would have gave me five and a half years. As of today, I'm only still short six, uh, two months, not six months of five years with SFMTA. So I um, realized this once um, Sandra Ng had sent me a copy of my full application and I was wondering why I still was short because in my in my estimation even 
if we added the tour bus experience, that would have gave me seven and a half years of experience. But take that away, it still gives me five and a half, which would have gave me over six months of the qualifying experience to take the examination. Now, I do have that uploaded resume. I mentioned it on the application. I had emailed back to Sandra Ng in reference to that. And I beg to differ, though, as far as keeping a schedule with the tour bus, though, we are on a fixed route in San Francisco, and it is mandatory that certain customers do get to their destination on time in a timely manner, and we do pick up at set stops. And we also um, are on, like I mentioned, a fixed route. So I understand that historically they're not, and currently they are not. However, if that was to be taken into consideration today, that would give me seven and a half years of experience. And that's, and that's what I have to say about that. <clears throat> okay, Appellant uh, Ramirez, uh, thank you. Uh, let's turn to the commissioners um, for any uh, questions or comments. Uh, Commissioner Salveson. Uh, I would just ask um, Manager Nath to respond to the appellant's position uh, about this NV transportation. Based on the application that we had received, Commissioner, um, there was no indication of FB, MV transportation, nor was it um, brought up or any additional information was received during the interactive process. I believe there was a note made of it at the in the appeal that he had presented to uh, the commission, but nothing more than just the, the note of MP, MV transportation. And as you're standing here today, does the MTA have a position on whether that would be a qualifying experience? Not without really getting additional information on it. Um, I know nothing more than just that phrase, M MV transportation at this point. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, Commissioner Crawley. A quick question to, to uh, SFMTA. When is the next 9139 category or test up beyond the next one? Um, so this is a larger examination recruitment that happens. And it's my understanding it is not one that unfortunately happens on an annual basis. Um, it, it just depends. I, I don't have an exact time frame as to when the next one might be available. So do we know when the last or historical context it was offered? Yeah, sure. So it actually wasn't offered for the last couple of years because we were working on class spec updates. Um, the last one we actually had was in, gosh, I want to say 20, it, it was before 2020. I, I couldn't tell you the exact date. Yeah. Thank you. No further questions, Madam Chair. Okay. Uh, Commissioner Leon, did you have a question? I did, but um, I'll ask it then. Um, how does the agency define large public transit system? Is that based on population it serves or it's based on the functions related to the uh, large public transport transit system? I'm actually going to let Manager Miles uh, answer that question. He might have a better explanation than I would. 
Thank you, William Miles, Town Acquisition, Senior Manager at SFMCA. Um, wanted to say a few things. Number one, for the large transportation, that is actually why I was an analyst in 2009. Uh, that's actually why we added the note, saying tour bus experience and shuttle bus experience and school bus experience is not qualified. Uh, that was to clarify the minimum qualification of what we defined as a large agency and those by our subject matter experts are not qualifying under the minimum qualifications. Um, also, I just want to bring attention to the fact that on the announcement, it does indicate that any job experience does need to be put on the application at the time that we're actually submitting it for review. Uh, so therefore, since we didn't have it there, we're not able to consider it and qualify it for this process. Okay, Manager Miles, thank you. Any additional questions? Any, any questions for the appellant? Okay, uh, commissioners, are you ready for a motion? Commissioner Salveson. Uh, yes, based on uh, reviewing the materials and listening to the um, presentations today and the questions and answers, um, I do believe that uh, we should uh, adopt the report and deny the appeal by Ramirez because um, Unfortunately, this, this specific required experience just did not exist at the time um, that the recruitment was happening. Second. Uh, we have a motion and a second to adopt the report, thereby denying the appeal of Appellant Ramirez. If you are in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium now. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay. Uh, commissioners, the roll call vote on the motion to adopt the report, thereby denying the appeal of Appellant Ramirez, Vice President Vavetti. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. Um, Appellant Ramirez, uh, thank you for being here and for your appeal. Um, I think you now understand how critical it is that all information is submitted at the time of the application and uh, watch for the next uh, recruitment and uh, good luck. Thank you. We are uh, MTA, thank you. We are ready for the next agenda item, number 10. Item 10, appeal by rejection of application by John, and the last name is spelled R-E-I-M-O-N-E-N-Q for 9139 Transit Supervisor. Recommendation of the Director of Transportation, adopt the report and deny the appeal by, again, the last name is spelled R-E-I-M-O-N-E-N-Q. Okay. Is uh, is the appellant with us? Yeah. 
So he's not in the room. Elizabeth, do you see him on the line? President Minor, no, he is not connected. Uh, he did not accept the meeting invite either. Okay. Um, Executive officer, have we heard from the appellant? We have not heard from the appellant. Okay. MTA, have you heard from the appellant? We have not. Okay. Uh, commissioners, how would you like to proceed? Uh, based on the information that has been presented to us as far as the report, um, and in the absence of any other information to the contrary, I would move to adopt the report and deny the appeal. However, I do have a, a message to the appellant, and I don't know where to put that, if it's afterwards or whatever, but um, I clearly understand in his feeling about um, that getting caught in one um, classification and not being able to be considered for others is, you know, I, a, a, an issue that we do have um, we use in the car cleaner series and is, is very, very heartfelt appeal about the fact that it, how difficult it is to be recognized in that kind of a profession. And want to let him know somehow that the car cleaner profession is an extraordinarily important a very important profession within the MTA and his work is not gone unnoticed and the work of transit car cleaners does not go unnoticed. Um, but it is important um, to, in this case, we, it doesn't meet the minimum qualifications as specified in the minimum qualifications of the announcement. Um, and at this point would not qualify for the position. I wanted to make sure that he uh, would, I would wish him uh, uh, the best for the future and perhaps consulting with the human resources director or the human resources staff at the MTA would help to him in his career. That's a long motion, but um, his appeal was very heartfelt. Okay. Uh, Vice President Favetti, thank you. Uh, we have a motion and a second to adopt the report, thereby rejecting the appeal. If you're in the room and you have public comment, I don't have a second. Second. Oh. Have a whisper in the ear and a second. <laughs> so, <laughs> we have a motion and a second to adopt the report and thereby deny the appeal. Uh, if you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium now. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay, and no public comment in the room. Uh, we will move to the roll call vote on the motion. Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Carley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. Uh, we have thereby uh, approved the motion, adopting the report and denying the appeal. MTA, thank you very much for being here. And uh, we will attempt to get Vice President Favetti's message to the appellant. Thank you. Thank you. We are ready for the next agenda item.
Item 11, appeal by Craig Martin of the Human Resources Director's determination that investigative findings did not establish appellant's complaint of retaliation. Recommendation of the Human Resources Director, adopt the report, uphold the decision of the Human Resources Director, and deny the appeal by Craig Martin. Okay, uh, thank you. I think I see appellant Martin in the back. Okay, very good. Um, we will uh, start with uh, DHR and PUC. Uh, who is here from PUC? Okay, very good, thank you. And uh, we will then uh, turn to Appellant Martin. Uh, we are ready for your presentation. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Stephanie Medina, EEO Program Senior Specialist with the Department of Human Resources Equal Employment Opportunity Division. On January 2016, Appellant Craig Martin was hired into the San Francisco Public Utility Commission's Infrastructure Division as a PCS 1822 Administrative Analyst. Martin worked under Benjamin Poole, who was then an 1823 Senior Administrative Analyst, and Todd Kiger, 1822 Administrative Analyst, who reported to Masood Ordinkani, then Director of Workplace Development. On June 28, 2016, Catherine Howe, then Assistant General Manager at SFPUC, released Martin from his 1822 probationary appointment. On January 4, 2017, Martin filed a complaint with the Department of Human Resources EEO Division. Martin alleged he was discriminated based on his age, over 40, and race, black. When one, his work was assigned to, reassigned to a younger employee. Two, when Orkandani told him to flex time rather than accrue compensatory time off. Three, when Martin was given a new work assignment that Martin believed was racially motivated. Four, when Martin also alleged he heard his manager Poole curse at another black employee and say a racially motivated comment about the local business enterprises of the Bayview Hunters Point. Lastly, Martin alleged that in June 2016, he told Orkdenkani to stop calling him bro. After Ordinkani had told him, bro, on many occasions, Martin believed he was released from probation in retaliation for speaking up. In April 2017, Human Resources Director sent Mar Martin a partial closure letter notifying him that his discrimination and harassment allegations would not be investigated because they were untimely, but his retaliation allegation would be investigated. Martin appealed the Human Resources Director's decision. In May 2017, Martin withdrew his appeal, and in June 2017, the CSC confirmed Martin's withdrawal and confirmed the retaliation claim would be investigated. After the investigation of Martin's retaliation claim, the Human Resources Department found that there was insufficient evidence to substantiate Martin's claim of retaliation because credible witness testimonies did not corroborate the appellant's allegation. Addition, additionally, documented evidence demonstrated that appellant and Ordinkani did not interact frequently and worked in different locations. Therefore, the opportunity for Martin to witness Ordinkani say, bro on many occasions seemed unlikely. 
The issue on appeal here is whether the human resources director correctly determined that there was insufficient evidence to sustain Martin's claim of retaliation. And for the following reasons, the answer is yes. The investigation found insufficient evidence to support the claim that Martin engaged in the protected activity of telling or Dinconic to stop calling him bro. Four witnesses testified, including another black American male, that they had never heard Ordinkani use the term bro. Additionally, documentation showed Martin and Ordinkani worked in different locations and rarely interacted with each other, showing there was insufficient evidence to find that Ordinkani could have frequently called Martin bro. Furthermore, the evidence also did not support the claim that Orton Connie made the decision to release Martin from probation, nor did he have the authority to make that decision. Catherine Howell released Mr. Martin from probation, relying on information given to Orton Connie by his two main supervisors, Poole and Kiger, who all supervised Martin. They all attested to Martin's overall struggling work performance. The investigation found that the decision to release Martin was supported by legitimate business reasons. Both supervisors, Poole and Kiger, stated that Martin's work performance was insufficient for the 1822 job classification. In his appeal, Martin has just provided a witness that was never shared before. That should not cause the commission to overturn the human resources director's determination. Rather, Martin also reinstated his 2015 race and age discrimination and harassment claims, which were administratively closed in May 2017 and are not part of this appeal. Additionally, Martin stated that he was not given written or verbal instruction regarding the specific goals of the position or how this performance would be judged. However, witness testimony and documentation show that he was counseled on his work performance by his supervisors prior to his release. In conclusion, the investigative findings did not support that Martin was retaliated by Ordin Connie or PUC. Therefore, we respectfully request that the commission deny Martin's appeal. Present today with me is Rachel Gardino, Deputy, Deputy People Officer, my bad. We are happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Okay, uh, thank you. Before we hear from the appellant, yes, would you step us through the timeline again? Of he course. Was released, <laughs> he was released June 28, 2016. Yes. And so a lot of time has passed. Yes. And I'm just trying to track the passage of time and why this case is just getting here. Yes. For clarification, you would like to know why there was a delay in this case. Okay. In December of 2016, when the case, when Mr. Martin first came with the complaint, the procedure for the PUC was that they were to investigate the case themselves. During this time, the HR worked as an, adv um, an advice sort of position, so they were handling the initial investigation. And during this time, there was a 1241 handling the investigation and she was new to PUC. And uh, she was the only one handling this case and she was the only one in the department handling these types of investigations. So along with learning on the job, 
Um, she took about a year to do this investigation, which is on par with our investigations. Afterwards, DHREO followed up with EEO uh, questions and follow-up investiga investigation questions, um, which was a back and forth with communication. And then we then have a litigation hold that was put into effect when Mr. Martin filed a lawsuit. And that litigation hold um, went out on August 2018. And once, once um, there was a litigation hold, you know, the case was pretty much stuck in its place. The litigation notice, the release of the litigation notice didn't come into our awareness until January 23 of, of 20 of this year of 2023 uh, that came after uh, Jennifer Burke EEO programs manager asked the city attorney's office if the litigation hold was still in effect that same day Jennifer Donnellan the deputy city attorney informed DHR that the litigation hold was um, was released on January 27, 2021. So there was a two year delay. And so there was a, a processing error that didn't, uh, from the city attorney's office that they did not communicate that the litigation hold was released to, from our office. And now, and now we are here uh, with, with this unfortunate delay. Okay. Uh, thank you. Thank yeah. you for the timeline clarification. Uh, commissioners, any questions uh, for EEO uh, initially? Uh, Commissioner Salveson. I, I just have a question <clears throat> related to the litigation. Uh, I looked at the file and it says that uh, the case, which um, seems to have addressed the issues in this appeal, were dismissed with prejudice. Yes. Have you um, taken a position on whether that disposes of this appeal? I'm sorry, can you repeat? Have you taken a position as to whether the dismissal with prejudice of litigation should dispose of this appeal? Uh, considering that our scope of investigation was the retaliation claim and the claims of the lawsuit pertain to 20, the 2015 racial and age discrimination cases, uh, we've, we did our investigation and by the time that the dismissal happened, most, if not all of the investigation was already completed. Oh, so there was no retaliation claim made in the litigation? Uh, I believe there, it was the same, same claims. Um, but we, we, our investigation only focused on the retaliation claim. And we came to the same conclusion that there was no retaliation here. Okay, but did the litigation have the retaliation claim in it or no? I I believe it did. Yes. Okay, uh, commissioners, any additional questions at this time? Okay, we will hear from Appellate Martin, and then uh, there will be questions for both EEO and the appellant and potentially for SFPUC. Thank you. Good afternoon, Craig Martin. 
Um, with respect to the last question by Commissioner, I can't read your name that far, I'm sorry. The, the, the sequence of events were that when I filed the action, city attorney removed it to federal court. Federal court dismissed the federal cause of action and remanded it back to the Superior Court. Superior Court made a ruling with, your, with respect to the dismissal with prejudice because I had not yet received a ruling or an opinion from the Civil Service Commission. So it was premature. So my rights to litigate whatever it is depends on, I have to go through this administrative process and we hadn't concluded that administrative process. The question I think wasn't asked was, what was the date that the Superior Court denied it with prejudice because I hadn't fulfilled the administrative prerequisites to the lawsuit. From that date, the litigation hold should have been lifted because it was no longer a litigation hold. So that's how we got to where we are here today. I have, you see in the record, there were a number of letters to me saying we're gonna investigate, investigate this, they never did. So that's how I wanna address that. With respect to how we got here, and, and the facts of it, no one during my time at the PUC ever counseled me or gave me any written instructions on what I was to do or not to do. No one, what I say, no one conducted a performance review about what your shortcomings are and what you need to improve. There, there's one thing that, that I want to point out that the Friday that the, my response was due, I got some additional information from the Human Resources Department. There was an email that I had sent to Masood telling him that I was leaving early because I had worked Wednesday, that, no, worked that Tuesday night. So that week I had put in 13 hours that day, rather. So Masood says, you can take your comp time, whatever the, the term they use. So I said, well, okay, I'll take my hours. I took an hour on Wednesday, took an hour on Thursday. And I'm telling Masood that I'm leaving Friday, an hour early. In response to my first email to Masood, Ben Pooh sends an email to Masood telling him that I left two days without telling him I was wandering around. Well, I was following the procedure that this, this is your time to use that week. So I used it. Now with respect to their decision to release me, I don't know what they based it on. Mr. Kiger, Todd, when I worked with them at the headquarters for a couple of years when I was a temp, no one had any complaints. Then when I got moved to Executive Park, I didn't see Todd except on Fridays when Masood held weekly staff meetings, every Friday. Then, so he's talking about he can't have eyes on me. Well, I was across town. You couldn't see me. I didn't work under you anymore. With respect to these recollections that everybody has, Todd has, an updated report on my performance. Well, my question is, well, before you had this updated report, when did you do the first report? 
they say that, you know, um, that I wasn't performing where I was told to help small businesses, LBEs, maneuver through the process of how you apply for contracts and get a bid from the PUC. So I'm out there doing what they tell me to do, and the proof is what these small businesses say about my efforts to help them. One, I got them their first contract. It was a small one, maybe $25,000, $30,000 with the SFMTA about doing community outreach. Um, and the others, um, they speak for themselves. So I don't know what they're referring to. Now, with respect to these withdrawals and my, I have no recollection of the sequence of the exact conversation I had with people at the PUC or wherever I was meeting with, I didn't know it was the EEOC or whatever. But when I got the letter informing me that I had agreed to something, I immediately said, no, that's not what we talked about. I didn't agree to that. And so that's where it comes where he agreed to dismiss it. They said it was untimely. Well, my, my response would be that this is a pattern. I'm not saying that I was singled out, but the age speaks for itself. I had a position I was doing at the PUC and they took the work I was doing, all of it, and then said, well, we're gonna find something for you to do next. So why don't we just send you out to the, P the uh, executive park? The timing of that was that, my recollection is that Pooh was going on paternity leave. And so they needed somebody out there with Prince Hollowell. He's the other African-American. So they say, well, Mr. Hollowell never heard Masood ever use the term bro. The exchange that I had with Masood was on the telephone. And he is screaming in my ear about something he's complaining about. I don't know exactly what it was at this point. I just said to him, please stop calling me bro. You're younger than me, you're not African-American, and I resent the fact, and, and disrespectful, that you keep addressing me in my age as bro. Following that exchange, when he said, okay, Mr. Martin, all right, that's when everybody started saying, well, you know, I didn't know they were saying this about me, that he's not, he can't turn a computer on, um, and he's not fulfilling his deliverables. And I'm saying, well, I can respond if you tell me you want me to go across the room and talk to somebody, I can do that. But if you tell me just go across the room and end up talking to somebody and helping them, well, I think I'm doing what the contract assistance center was there for, is to help the little guys understand the comings and goings of how you successfully apply to the request for proposals. And I'm telling them that, you know, on the infrastructure team, they conduct meetings, outreach meetings, there was a place in Burlingame at the facility where they test the water. There's one up in Moccasin where you had to tell the local LBEs on the pipeline about upcoming projects. I did that. No one complained about any of the things I was doing. It wasn't until I asked Masood to stop calling me bro. And that's when the dominoes started to fall. I was about deliverables with respect to, you know, if you look at the records, and you say, well, okay, Mr. Martin had been at the PUC for a number of years, never been evaluated or critiqued on any of the temporary jobs when I was down doing the billing on the, on, in, working in IT. 
for a couple of years. I went down, they put me down to the engineers in the basement. No one complained about anything. And then when I got the position uh, at, on the infrastructure, nobody knew that I had taken the 1822 test to become permanent. And my suspicion is, and I suspect that when they started investigating, trying to come up with their evaluations, that they realized that this guy is about to be permanent. So if you look at the records, the Friday before I was terminated, Masood had sent me an email telling me he wanted to meet that Friday. Well, I didn't check my email that afternoon because I was across town helping Scott finish off this quarterly report and do the certified payroll. So then the next mo Monday morning, I go back to my office, Masood says, well, sorry I missed you. I didn't know you were in the building, but can you come over Monday afternoon? I said, sure. No, in, no indication that I was going to be terminated. So when I get there and there's a room full of people, we go through this process. I say, well, listen, Masood, if you had told me what was going on, I would have brought my personal belongings from the executive park over here. So my briefcase and my jacket and stuff is back at the in executive park so they allowed me to take the vehicle having been terminated back across town to come back so i just say to you that what can they point to that led them to be in such a rush to terminate me the day before i was going to be permanent and the only thing that i point to is that well you 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 took the work i was doing to give it to a younger woman i can live with that you send me across town, you tell me, and this is what I don't get, you tell me that I can pick up a car at eight o'clock in the morning, but I'm not on city time, and the city's not liable if I have an accident because I'm not on city time until I get there, and then you tell me when I leave there, I'm not allowed to, to, to charge time from executive park back to the civic center garage with that can't be right just going that's that's the wrong step going into it then when when they come up with their evaluations they never told kathy howe that i had raised an issue about this term broke she never heard it she never heard that there were emails allegedly acknowledging I had helped some people do things. That never came out. What I read from when you allowed me to go back and read the report, what I read was what seemed like they were not investigating, but trying to justify a reason to come up with the decision they came up with. Nobody investigated any of my allegations. What they investigated was, can we support what well, I say Masood and them did to justify not whether there's any, does Martin have any credibility with the issues he raised? It's true. He wasn't allowed to um, bill for hours he worked. It's true. They took his assignments. It's true that he worked late nights. It's true that they told me I can take time off. When I take time off, they complain that I'm sneaking out and not working. It's true that no one ever told me in advance that they had an issue with what I was doing. 
the time of day, the evenings I was working, nobody complained. As long as I was doing whatever they thought I was doing, they were happy with it. As once I said, don't call me bro, things change. I, I said, objectively, when, when, when the report says, this is an updated report on somebody that I didn't have eyes on because we never worked in the same building. I can live with the updated report, but show me the first report and you tell me that you wanted me to succeed, but no one has any record of counseling me on what I was doing. If I was worn around in the days of stuff, you should have said something to me. If they thought I was taking a car and going someplace, they never told me about it. The record is clear that it was fine when Mr. Kent Lim and I would help individuals in getting their stuff together. Mr. Lim was helping YCAT get their tax in order because you have to have two years of taxes. So she was coming to, and her staff would bring all their boxes over to the contract assistance center. She says, well, listen, I have to shut down my office and bring all my books and records here. Can you guys come to me? Doesn't matter to me. It was fine. But once it got successful, they said, you can't go there anymore. Well, that's fine with me. I don't have to go there. I'm told where to go, what to do, and I do it. So my question to this, I say to you, is can they appoint to any objective foundational facts that they can point to to say Mr. Martin couldn't turn on a computer, Mr. Martin didn't know how to read, I guess, or whatever they said about me. And my question is, well, how did you counsel him? And what was the, what was the urgency to terminate me the day before? I don't know. And, and, I, and I say to you that I point to the time, the comp time, you know, the, the travel, late nights, don't get compensated. No one investigated whether or not it's city policy to allow an employee to work according to the checkout time from those vehicles between 11 hours on average a day and on Tuesday nights about 13 hours a day. No one ever said, well, Mr. Martin is due compensation. That was unfair. That shows the pattern of disparate treatment to me over somebody else. And I'm only pointing out what actually took place and the record reflects that. Everything I have done, everything I was doing, no one complained in writing with advance notice. And I hadn't seen the emails. Oh, one other thing I want to mention to you in closing. I got a subsequent report of an interview with an employee who's retired. That employee is Prince Hollowell. Prince Hollowell had been there for years. He was the one that was burning my ear about how he should have been Pooh's position. I was a temp. He says I was resentful or upset because I didn't get the managerial position. Excuse me, I was trying to get a permanent job. I wasn't trying to be a manager. It wasn't, it wasn't, didn't make sense to me. But it's projection of how, let's dump it on Mr. Martin. And I can say to you that I was not told anything that would have allowed me to adjust my performance had I been told. Had I been told, Mr. Martin, we want you to step with your right foot first and not your left foot. Well, if you tell me that's 
what we're doing. I'll follow your instructions. I'm not here to argue with you. I'm here to do the work, but I don't think I should subject myself to somebody addressing me as bro. They say, well, nobody ever said that. Well, I'm not surprised, but had, had they said to me, Mr. Martin, we have inconclusive evidence. Do you have any witnesses? I found one. Never asked anybody on the Seuss team, did you guys have weekly staff meetings? If they asked that question, the answer would have been yes. And it was mandatory. And Masu conducted weekly staff meetings every Friday. And before they sent me out to the contract assistance center, I sat one row, one cubicle over from Masu's office on the fifth floor. I think it was fifth floor. So I did see him. So I'm, whenever he was in there, I saw him every day. He never addressed me much. I mean, I wasn't in his, I guess, on his radar to do anything with. So I can just say that I'm open to ask, answer any questions you may have, but, and I, I'd ask you to reinstate me in my position. And I've sort of laid it out so you don't have to ask me a lot of questions, but I can answer any questions you, you think are relevant that I've failed to address. Okay, Appellant Martin, thank you. Um, Am I excused? You, you can hang around in, in the event there are questions, uh, commissioners, okay. questions for um, the appellant or for EEO or the department. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioners, questions or comments? Can the department address the performance issue? Um, can I make a point of clarification before I start? Sorry, can I make a point of clarification before I answer the question? Um, with respect to the litigation, um, so it was dismissed with prejudice in- Talking to the microphone there. You can adjust it. Yeah. State your name. Thank you. State your name. Uh, Rachel Gardunio. I'm the Deputy People Officer at the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission. And so as a preliminary matter, I would like to make a point of clarification regarding the litigation that was referenced. So um, as Commissioner Salveson mentioned, it was dismissed with prejudice in 2020, um, but it was due to dismissal for failure to prosecute. So I just wanted to clarify the, the reason. Thank you. I did see that in the file, but it was a dismissal with prejudice. So okay. maybe you could proceed to answer um, Commissioner Liang's question. Absolutely. Um, with regard to his performance, if you look at Exhibit H in the original EEO investigative report, you'll see that there are nearly 120 pages documenting his um, performance. And so while, so you can see the level of, um, there are 
So attachment four references the email from Kiger that Mr. Martin was talking about where it says status, update, and supporting docs. Where it de there's actually a chart attached that details um, Mr. Martin's um, assignments and performance deficiencies. There are also significant emails, um, including Mr. Martin, but also Mr. Ortacani and Mr. Poole, documenting um, Mr. Martin's time discrepancies, failure to follow procedure, um, and other sort of basic failure to adhere to workplace requirements. Um, and then you can see attachment three is quite a voluminous document where it includes a summary log written by Ben Poole detailing date by date the performance deficiencies and then he provides emails to support each of his points. I'm still trying to get there. There are so <laughs> many pages. Sorry, oh, was that. Mr. Martin informed of these def alleged deficiencies? Yes, he was. And um, where can I find that? I'd also like to point out, sorry, I have so many notes. I'd also like to point out that um, Mr. Martin was an 1822 administrative analyst, which is a journey level position. And so he is expected to be able to perform work mostly independently until the end of the work product. He's expected to do difficult and complex analysis. As an 1822 or 1823? 1822. So please direct me to the portion where you um, share the alleged deficiencies with Mr. Martin. Absolutely. Um, exhibit H, so exhibit three has, like I said, there's a log, there's discussion back and forth. Um, exhibit five talking about time entries. Um, the discussions include Mr. Martin. Can I ask Mr. Martin? Yeah. yeah. Can I ask Mr. Martin the follow-up question then? Yes, sir. So I'm looking at that same documentation referenced by uh, PUC. Do you have any comment on that? Did, did they not talk to you about that? They, all these alleged deficiencies. Well, the the one I want to point to was when when they had me doing e time. There was one period where I was putting in something in the wrong category. That one was clear that I made a mistake. I, I didn't, I wasn't familiar with doing e-time. There's no dispute about that. With respect to these assignments, there was a, a, an assignment they alleged to was Senate Bill 854. That was the Industrial Relations Department that in order to yeah. bid on these contracts, there's certain requirements you have to do. So um, it, it's a long bill, so I highlighted what I thought Ben Poo wanted. I didn't know he was doing some research independently that he then wanted 
to present as a lawyer to the city attorney's office to get their blessing. I wasn't aware of all that. So what they asked me to do, I did it and I gave them a, re a quick response back. They never said, I want you to write an opening brief with citations. Had I been told that they wanted a brief as opposed to what are the highlights of this new legislation? I pointed it out to them. So those assignments that they claim that I didn't follow through on, no one said that what I gave them was insufficient, that I wanted more. This, if this is your first draft, I want a second draft. That was never presented to me. And one of the things that I want to comment that at the conclusion of them trying to backfill with evaluations and there's these things that we've been running a, a running spreadsheet on Mr. Martin, no one at any time as of today ever said to me, listen, Mr. Martin, or listen, Craig, there's some deficiencies that we need to address and we're gonna give you, you know, a month or whatever to see if you can get up to speed. Never confronted that at all. And, and when you come down to, <laughs> to the finish line, and it's a, what I call a photo finish, the recommendation was they could have done a better job to document this termination. It's unclear. And when you're not sure what to do, Ms. Howe, terminate them. And that's basically what happened. They didn't have enough to point objectively. To here, here is the first evaluation by Mr. Kiger about what he was doing. Here's the second one about Mr. Pooh. Mr. Pooh has a series of events that he reconstructed from memory. He didn't go to a book and say, this is my past recollection recorded. I'm now giving you my recollection on the calendar of a full month of April, I believe it was, of all the things that he was pointing to. Well, my thing was, well, how did you come up with that? And, and where was it that these things that you were pointing to in that period of time, was, was there ever an email or CC to Mr. Martin or to Craig? It never, whatever they were thinking or whatever you were thinking, I don't know, if you don't tell me, I'm just less to think everything's okay. So I don't know how I'm supposed to read minds. And clearly, if you read it, Ms. Howell didn't know what to do. She was relying on the investigation that I say wasn't complete, wasn't thorough. And at the end of it, they say, well, we're not sure, it's unclear, when in doubt, terminate them. I don't think that's a fair, recommendation based on the facts that were known at the time and clearly not on the facts that had been shared with me to give me the opportunity to correct what I was doing that apparently for years had been okay. And the question I say, well, he says, well, where was it shared with Mr. Martin? I asked one of my questions, where, where were my series of evaluations that would lead one to know that you are being reviewed and if you're not up to speed, get up to speed because we are looking at you. As opposed to saying, well, let's come up and reconstruct a series of events to point the finger at Mr. Martin. Well, you had, you had six months from January to June 
to document this stuff as opposed to the last couple of weeks, let's get it all together and terminate them. And that's basically what I see on the facts as I reviewed. And, and um, I ask any other questions? Okay. Thank you. Any follow-up, Commissioner uh, no, Thank you. Okay. Um, Appellate Martin, uh, in your lawsuit, were you represented by counsel? No. Okay. And with respect to, it was dismissed with prejudice because I couldn't refile that lawsuit because I couldn't comply with the prerequisite to go past the Civil Service Commission. So that lawsuit is null and void. I can't refile that lawsuit. Got you, because the defect was not coming before you. So my argument is that, yeah, that got dismissed, but my, my cause of action doesn't accrue until you guys rule, up or down. And you know, at the, anyway, that's it. Any other questions? I'll be here. Okay. Um, I'm wondering if the PUC would address uh, the appellant's comments about his lack of notice about um, the deficiencies that uh, you are showing us were documented. Thank you. Um, so Mr. Martin came to us initially, actually he was with us with, for a variety of positions, but he was initially an exempt 1822 with infrastructure, working with the same group. There's sort of two branches. There's workforce development and then the small business side. So initially he was working with workforce development at 525 Golden Gate at our headquarters. And so he was in that position from May, 2015 until he was promoted in March 2016, where he moved into a PCS position. And so I just want to clarify that from May 2015 to March 2016, he was exempt. And so we're, we're and then was subsequently promoted into a PCS position. And so we're talking about a, a number of things that happened before March. Um, and I just wanted to sort of draw that delineation. Um, my understanding is that Mr. Poole, who was one of his direct supervisors, sat next to Mr. Martin because we asked that same question, right? My understanding is that he sat next to Mr. Martin. And so they would have ongoing and contemporaneous discussions about the work that was assigned, about his performance, about the work that he was providing or not providing. And I think part of the problem, too, is you can see um, from the documents we provided that in many instances, Mr. Martin was asked to provide his opinion, his advice, and simply just didn't follow up. And so to answer your question, the expectations were conveyed in the emails, but also a lot of them happened in contemporaneous discussions with the supervisor who sat exactly next to him. And remind me, when did Mr. Poole start his paternity leave? Sure. He was on paternity leave uh, from January 6th to February 28th, 2016. 
and Mr. Martin was assigned five days a week to the Contractors Assistance Center in January of 2016. Okay. Um, commissioners, any additional questions or comments? Commissioner Salveson. I did not work, I did not sit next to Mr. Poole at the Contract Assistance Center. He had his own office and I had an office and we didn't sit side by side. These discussions we had, the only one that I, that was documented that I know of was my, my complaint of him describing people, the problem with people in the Bayview Bayview. Hunters Point area is that they have a poverty mentality. And I can tell you, I was highly offended about that, but that's his opinion. I can't, he got free speech. I didn't agree with it, but there was never any back and forth of discussions with Poole and I. The one discussion that's on the record that they mentioned was that I said to Mr. Poole that some of these other LBEs, they need to collaborate with somebody else so they can have a team and approach these primes. And since YCAT, who did traffic control and some other things, they have a good relationship with all these San Francisco, you know, construction firms that they should team up and offer just more than traffic. Someone could offer whatever, whatever their sub was, be it, be it photography work, be it engineering, you could get a bigger piece of that um, LBE dollar if you team up with two people. But since you don't compete on the same trade, you could combine and, and give a bigger chunk to the prime to show that they're doing out outreach. That was I was trying to convey to people to team up and make a bigger impression. And so no one had any complaints with that except I got accused of telling them that you must partner with somebody else, YCAT. And there's no record, there's no record of any of these things that they talk about. There's no contemporaneous record they can point to. There's no contemporaneous record that any of them can point to that this is what we noted on day one and on day two or day three or day four, we informed Mr. Martin, here's the, here's the email to Mr. Martin where we discuss in detail all his deficiencies. That is totally void of this file, which is what I say to you, if you take back objectively, the investigation said they could have done a better job. A better job of what? Documenting my deficiencies in order to terminate me? And I just don't know, but I don't know what she meant by that, but I kept saying to you, well, where, where are the performance reviews? The one independent thing you could point to, if there was an independent, performance review where they could say that Mr. Martin refused to sign the performance review. They can say, I don't remember what Mr. Martin said because it was, I was never, they couldn't make up a story because they had never addressed it to me. So they want to put words in my mouth. They said, well, we, we don't know what, what he's, we don't remember his response, but if you don't remember my response, but you got all these records of you 
counseling me, why don't you have a record of how I responded to that counseling? And it just, it's just not there. Um, thank you. Okay. Commissioner Salveson. <clears throat> I, I don't have questions. I was gonna make some comments. Okay, please. Uh, this is a very voluminous file. Um, there's a lot of materials. A lot of witnesses were interviewed in connection with the investigation. Uh, a, a wide variety of witnesses at different levels of, um, you know, classifications. And <clears throat> uh, it appeared to me that the credibility determinations that were made by the investigator are very reasonable. I don't see any reason that we would overturn them. Uh, I'd also, I also note that this is a, this was a probationary release. This was mm -hmm. um, a chance for the department to see if this employee would work out in the role that the department hoped that it he would work out. And in the file, there are a number of documents that indicate that there was just not a meeting of the minds here between the, what the employee was hearing <laughs> and um, what the department needed. And it's unfortunate, but I, I think that this is the purpose of probation to figure out whether there's a good fit. And I, I think in this case, the department um, uh, was justified in you know, making a decision that there was not a good fit. So for that reason, um, I would make a motion to um, adopt the report, uphold the decision of the human resources director and deny the appeal. Um, before we take a second, any other comments um, that um, a commissioner wants to add? Otherwise, we'll take a second. I think Commissioner Salveson covered uh, the salient points. And yes, this is the probationary period in a an individual is at will, just as they are when they're exempt. Um, I too thought the investigation was very thorough. Uh, I also know that it's very difficult at times to, that when things don't work out, how difficult it is. But to that, I would second the motion. Okay. If uh, no additional comments from commissioners, um, we will uh, open this up for public comment on the pending motion, which is to accept the report, thereby denying the appeal. If you're in the room, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay, and no public comment in the room. Um, commissioners, the roll call vote on the motion, which is to accept the report or adopt the report, thereby uh, denying the appeal. Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. 
Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. We have unanimously adopted the report and denied the appeal. Um, we appreciate both the appellant and the department and EEO for being here and presenting this case. Thank you. Uh, President yes. Minor, I'm going to have to excuse myself and uh, Employment Services Director Anna Biaspis is going to take Okay, thank you. Uh, commissioners, do you need a health break before our last two items? Yes? Okay. Um, we'll take a five-minute health break. We can start. It is now 5.33 p.m. We are now on the separations agenda. Item 12, request for a hearing by Jose Santiago, former 3417 Gardner with the San Francisco Department of Public Works. Recommendation of the Human Resources Director, uphold Department of Public Works decision to restrict the future employment of Jose Santiago with the city and county of San Francisco and deny the appeal. Okay, is Appellant uh, Santiago with us? Uh, Elizabeth, do you see him on the line? President Minor, he is not logged in, but he did accept the invitation, but he is not logged in. Okay, um, Executive Officer, did we hear from him? Um, we did receive one email uh, in response uh, to the notice of the meeting that was sent to him. Um, he just expressed his feelings uh, about the process. Mm -hmm. uh, this morning, I responded back um, with a detailed email about what a hearing before the commission would mean and what could happen. And also reminded that this was the employees right to uh, a hearing if they request a hearing on future employment restrictions. Um, but I did not receive any other response from that. Okay. And who's here from the department? Oh. <laughs> Good evening. It's not afternoon anymore. Good evening, commissioners. <laughs> and Thanks it's, for reminding and us. it's dark outside. <laughs> right. <laughs> Karen Hill, Director of Human Resources for San Francisco Public Works, and I'm here to represent the department, but I have uh, Christine Kayabia, our uh, Employee Relations Manager, here to um, respond to any questions. Okay, uh, thank you. Uh, so, um, again, uh, Appellant Santiago is not with us, apparently. Commissioners, how would you like to proceed? I believe we should we go ahead and proceed. Uh, um, can you do in the mic? I, I couldn't hear you in oh, the mic. Oh, mm -hmm. uh, I believe we should go ahead and proceed. I think that there's been adequate notice. Um, uh, the appellant has indicated that he has received the notice and is not now responding and there's no representative that has indicated otherwise. I have read the materials, including the appeal. Um, and I am particularly struck by the start that the department stated uh, recognition that do people do change over time, except that in this case, we've had a repeated offense. There's already been uh, the uh, appellant. Um, not only was uh, 
did not change as a result of any of the uh, uh, efforts that were made to change his behavior. Uh, he did not uh, express any remorse or contrition. And um, as a result, um, I think I would move to uphold the decision of the human resources or the, the department or the human resources director with the uh, full permanent ban, not back to the city and county. Uh, Commissioner Leon. Uh, I, I just wanted to comment uh, the department did a fantastic job with the uh, with the report and it kept it under 300 pages and I appreciate that. <laughs> God, that was amazing. <laughs> blown away by fewer than 300 pages okay. when it comes to a report like this. I so I'll publicly acknowledge Jesse Franklin, <laughs> our labor relations analyst for that report. Uh, thank you. Uh, did we get a second? I second. Okay, thank you, Commissioner. Can okay. I also just say that uh, even though the appellant isn't here, that we that the file is very um, thorough, and um, I, I reviewed it thoroughly, and so I know that the other commissioners did as well. Uh, Commissioner Crawley. And I will echo as well, uh, based on the submittal of the uh, excellent uh, record that you provided to us, uh, we're able to be at this point even without the appellate. Thank you. No okay. further questions. Thank you. Um, before we take uh, public comment, I'd just like to acknowledge that uh, Director Biaspis is here with us, sitting in for Director Eisen, who has left the meeting. Thank you for being here. Glad to be here. Um, we have a motion and second to adopt the report. Uh, thereby denying the appeal of Jose uh, Santiago. If you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay. Uh, commissioners, the roll call vote on um, to, to uh, accept the report, thereby denying the appeal of Jose Santiago. Uh, Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. We have uh, voted to accept the report, thereby denying the appeal of Jose Santiago. Uh, DPW, thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, commissioners. Executive officer, we're ready for the next agenda item. Item 13, request for a hearing by Sandra Zuniga, former manager for on their future employment restriction with the city and county of San Francisco. Recommendation of the human resources director, uphold the Department of Public Works decision to permanently restrict Sandra Zuniga's future employment with the city and deny the appeal. Uh, thank you. I can see that the appellant, and I believe I saw her counsel at, as well, are on the line. And That's right. Thank, thank you for being here. And DPW? Um, can you hear me? Hello? Yes. I'm here, Karen Hill, San Francisco Public Works HR Director. Hello. Uh, who's talking? That's Sheree, which I will introduce her. Okay. 
for the okay. minute. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell if I was like, you, you can hear me. So go ahead, Ken. Okay. Karen Hill, Director of Human Resources for San Francisco Public Works here, representing the department, as well as our Employee Labor Relations Director, Sheree Nisha, who will be available and be representing the department, um, providing a response. Okay, and and so let's just review the process for the appellant who's new at this. Uh, we will start with the department. There may be some preliminary questions to the department, and then we will turn uh, to, uh, turn to appellant and appellant's counsel to make a presentation, and then there will be questions for both sides from the commissioners. Thereafter, the commissioners will take a vote. Okay, we will start with uh, DPW. Um, okay. If I may, I apologize for interrupting um, President Minor, but I believe um, Commissioner Leung had a, a statement to make before this matter is heard. Okay, thank you. I'm sorry, Commissioner. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I just uh, like to say that I would like to recuse myself uh, in this matter uh, for professional reasons. I'm happy to explain further about this, um, if you so wish. City Attorney. City Attorney Kate Kimberlin. Um, as you know, commissioners are required to vote affirmatively one way or the other on matters unless they are excused by a majority of their fellow commissioners upon a vote. You can choose to hold that vote um, at the end of um, public comment on this matter so that you um, can hold both the vote on this matter and the vote on whether to recuse um, Commissioner Leung. Um, in the opposite order, um, but you can hold them um, both after a single public comment. Um, but we wanted to make sure that was on the record before the matter is heard um, so that it, uh, Commissioner Leung's position requesting recusal is clear and so that public commenters can also comment on that component of the matter when that time comes. Okay. Do we need more specificity on the record as to the basis for his recusal? There's no requirement, okay. but it's... Um, it's up to you. Okay. And should uh, the commissioner leave the dais? Um, no, there's no need for him to do that. He would simply be recusing himself. He's seeking to recuse himself from the vote until that time, until that motion is granted. He's mm -hmm. still a part of the commission and hearing the matter. Okay. Okay. Commissioner, what's your preference? Would you like? I, I would be happy to explain. Okay, why don't you provide a little explanation and then um, we'll, um, I would prefer to take the motion now rather than later. Okay, uh, so as some of you know, I was, uh, I served in the capacity as the uh, General Services Agency uh, from 2007 until my uh, last year with the city in 2018. Uh, while at GSA, I was the employee labor relations director or labor relations manager, then promoted to the human resources director. Uh, GSA is a uh, umbrella department for about 26 or so departments, plus or minus, uh, two or so commissions and boards and department of public works was one, one such department. Uh, while I was the uh, GSA HR director, I regularly attend meetings at DPW Operations Yard on Chez Chavez. Uh, during one of those meetings, I met uh, Ms. Suniga. Uh, she, I think, believe I, she was the deputy. I could be wrong on that. And uh, 
as HR, as their HR director, I regularly provide advice on uh, HR-related matters, including but not limited to uh, apprenticeship programs. I think Ms. Sunika was in charge at that particular time, plus other employee-related matters. Um, I, uh, I, um, this matter, of course, was never a part of the discussion. Uh, I resigned from the city position in 2018 and uh, this matter came up uh, subsequent to it. So as a matter of just full transparency, um, uh, I would like to uh, recuse myself uh, based on my past relationship uh, with the department uh, in which Ms. Sunigo was part of uh, back in the day when I was uh, serving in the capacity as an employee labor relations manager, as well as a GSA HR director. Okay. Uh, Commissioner, thank you very much for that further explanation on the record. And uh, based on that explanation, I'd like to make a motion to uh, recuse Commissioner Leung. Second. Uh, we have a motion and a second to accept the recusal of Commissioner Leung. If you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Thank you, Elizabeth. Uh, Commissioner Savrol, call vote on the motion to accept the recusal of Commissioner Leon. Uh, Vice President Favetti? Aye. Uh, Commissioner Crawley? Aye. Commissioner Savison? Aye. And I vote aye. We've accepted the recusal of Commissioner Leon um, for the uh, agenda item 13. Thank you. Uh, we are ready to proceed with the hearing. Director Hill. Okay. Shereen Nisha will be uh, providing her report. Okay. Um, good evening, commissioners. Can can everyone hear me okay? Uh, yes, we can. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, so my name is um, Shereen Nisha. I'm the Employee Labor Relations um, Director with San Francisco Public Works. We also have on the call today, um, Svetlana Baxberg, um, who, um, if needed, can answer questions regarding um, this matter. Um, but we're here to respond to the appeal for permanent uh, future employability um, for Ms. Zuniga, a former 0932 Manager 5, um, sorry, Manager 4 with Public Works. Um, the appellant, Sandra Zuniga, is appealing San Francisco Public Works' decision to impose a citywide future employment restriction. The appellant was dismissed from her permanent 0932 Manager 4 position on August 7, 2020, for unethical conduct, dishonesty, and knowingly violating multiple city laws and policies. The city policy on familial and unromantic relationships at work required that the appellant disclose her relationship with her supervisor, Mohammed Nuru. Appellant admitted that appellant did not disclose the improper relationship she had with Nuru to human resources, despite having knowledge of the policy. Appellant denied the relationship existed in 2013 and failed to correct the false denial of the relationship to human resources. Appellant's false denial in 2013 also influenced city investigators to dismiss two subsequent complaints about Appellant's romantic relationship with Nuru in 20, 2016. 
appellate continued to benefit from Noor's involvement in decisions about her employment after the policy went in effect in 2017. Therefore, the department determined that the appellant's viola appellant violated the city's 2017 policy on family and romantic relationships at work. Additionally, in March 2020, appellant admitted to the city that appellant was girlfriend number one quoted on the federal complaint against Neuro and that the statements attributed to girlfriend one were made by appellant inaccurately transcribed. The transcripts of the taped conversations between appellant and Nuru showed that appellant knew Nuru had accepted gifts from individuals with projects before the department or other city agencies in exchange for Nuru's help with those projects. Further, between 2008 and December 2019, Nuru regularly participated in decisions about appellant's employment including evaluating performance, approving performance evaluations, granting appellant salary increases and promotions within and outside the city's competitive civil service process, approving requests to, for leave to accept promotive appointments and approving expense reimbursement requests. The city's 2017 policy on family and romantic relationships at work encompasses requirements that prior to its adoption in 2017 existed by the virtue of the San Francisco Charter, the Employee Handbook, and the Campaign and Governmental Code of Conduct, including prohibiting a supervisor for participating in employment decisions involving, involving a person with whom they have a romantic relationship. Between 2008 and December 2019, appellant did not disclose her romantic relationship with Newell. In failing to disclose the romantic relationship with Newell and allowing Newell to continue to make or participate in employment decisions that benefited the appellant, she failed in her duty as a manager to avoid the appearance of favoritism in the workplace. Thus, the city's investigation found the appellant violated basic public integrity policies and principles which undermined employees' morale and public confidence in the city's merit system. Further, in <clears throat> May 2013, appellant was interviewed in response to a whistleblower complaint alleging unfairness in the hiring process for a position for which appellant was later selected. Appellant was dishonest to the city when appellant told them that she was not in a personal relationship with Newell because appellant actively concealed the relationship in 2013, it is not plausible that the applicant did not believe the relationship needed to be reported, particularly given her training and awareness of the city's policy on family and romantic relationships at work. In 2015 and in 2017, appellant completed trainings on workplace harassment, which covered the city's dating and conflicts of interest guidelines. And in the city's 2017 policy on family and romantic relationships at work, respectively. On March 16, 2017, and in September 2017, appellant received a department wide email from GSA's resources team informing appellant of the requirements of the city's 2017 policy on family and romantic relationships at work. Therefore, the investigation established that the appellant was aware of the policy requirements, that the appellant was dishonest in the March 2020 investigatory meeting, where she stated that she did not believe she needed to report the relationship. 
Moreover, the investigator established the appellant was dishonest during her March 2020 meet interview when the appellant minimized Nuru's corruption. The city established the appellant knew that Nuru was accepting gifts from a developer in exchange for help with projects in San Francisco, which is prohibited by city law. The appellant did not tell Nuru that he should not accept the gifts. Rather, the appellant warned him not to talk too much, as that's what's going to get him in, in the end. The appellant also admitted to travel extensively with Nuru including on two international trips with individuals who regularly do business with the city. On one such trip, appellant accepted a gift, a $200 helicopter ride from a city contractor that appellant failed to disclose as required. Appellant also admitted that Neuro arranged for contractors to make improvements to appellant's home and that despite her claims of suspicion about his source of income, Appellant continued to accept money from Nuru each month to cover half the expenses on the appellant's house in Stony Horn. Appellant offered Nuru $25,000, which he accepted. It is a violation of the city and state law for an employee to accept a loan from any employee under his supervision. The investigation found that the appellant's romantic relationship with Nuru, subordinate and supervisor, led appellant to mingle finances in violation of city law. By concealing her relationship, appellant violated the campaign environmental code, code conduct code sections 2.14 sections A and C and aided and abetted Noor's violation of the code sections 216 A and C. <coughs> <coughs> As a city employee, appellant had a duty to report any incident of, incidents of improper or illegal activity involving the department or another city employee. Employees have multiple avenues for reporting such activity and can remain anonymous. In March 2020, appellant admitted to the city that the appellant was suspicious that Nuru was engaged in improper activities Nuru to stop talking about these activities, and while appellant claimed appellant considered reporting Nuru to the ethics commission, appellant did not do so. Therefore, the department established that appellant repeatedly failed to fulfill this affirmative duty. In conclusion, the totality of the appellant's egregious misconduct and unethical conduct merits a permanent ban on future employability with the city. Appellant has marked the department's reputation by using her position with the city for personal gain, in turn affecting the level of public trust in the city. The city's 2014 policy and guidelines regarding future employment restrictions provide that the city is obligated to review the circumstances of any negative separation to determine whether it would be appropriate to restrict a former employee's future employment with the city. The department has performed its obligation to thoroughly review appellant's future employment restrictions and determine that a permanent future employment restriction is appropriate based on appellant's conduct. Therefore, San Francisco Public Works respectfully request that the Civil Service Commission uphold the department's decision to permanently restrict appellant from future employment with the city and deny the appeal. Um, we stand by to answer any questions, um, and we also, as I mentioned, have Ms. Baxford online to assist with any questions. 
Okay, uh, thank you. Uh, Director Hill, do you have any additional comments at this point? No, I do not. Okay, thank you. Uh, commissioners, any immediate questions? Otherwise, we will turn to the appellant. Okay. Um, we are ready to hear from the appellant. Is that going to be counsel or the appellant? That'll be counsel, Commissioner. Okay. My name is uh, Camille Framrose. I'm an attorney at Morrison and Forrester, and we represent Sandra Zuniga, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Galia Amram and Annie Lee, who are also on the line. Okay, thank you. We're ready to hear from you. Thank you, Commissioner. Public Works seeks to portray Ms. Zuniga as a woman who entered into a romantic relationship with a male superior, Muhammad Nuru, to get ahead who profited from his criminal activities and who would be a liability if allowed to return to working for the city. That could not be further from the truth for the following three reasons. First, Ms. Zuniga met Mr. Nuru at a vulnerable time in her life and began dating him in part because he represented a stark contrast from her ex-husband. As set out in greater detail in her submission to the commission last week, Ms. Zuniga had a very traumatic childhood. When she was 29, she married Pedro Zuniga, whose last name she still carries. He was physically and emotionally abusive, and she finally found the courage to leave him in 2008, when she woke up one night to him strangling her in bed out of jealousy of her friendship with a friend's boyfriend. It was while still in the process of divorcing Mr. Zuniga that she met Mr. Nuru, who was kind, supportive, and generous towards her. He offered her some stability and normalcy at an unstable time in her life, and as a result, she trusted him. And as a chronic people pleaser, she did not question the favors and assistance he asked of her until much later. She deeply regrets that, to be sure, but she certainly did not enter into a 12-year relationship with Mr. Nuru and his children to get ahead at work. Nor would she ever have needed to, which brings me to my second point. Ms. Zuniga's career advancement at Public Works and the Mayor's Office was due to her own hard work, not to her relationship with Mr. Nuru. There are some inaccuracies in Public Works' memo to the Commission, and Ms. Zuniga did not point out all of them in her memo, nor am I going to point them all out now. But suffice it to say that her promotions, her excellent performance evaluations, and her salary increases all took place at the behest of employees other than Mr. Nuru. As an example, Ms. Nisha mentioned that Ms. Zuniga continued to benefit from Mr. Nuru's involvement in her employment after 2017. But in fact, Ms. Zuniga did not even report to Mr. Nuru after August 2011. It is unfortunate that Public Works tries to dismiss Ms. Zuniga's stellar record, particularly as a woman of color, as nothing more than the perks of a relationship with one's male boss. To the contrary, Ms. Zuniga earned everything she got. She was an extremely talented and dedicated employee working an average of 60 hours a week on a variety of projects and managing up to 30 individuals. Appendix A to her submission to the commission contains an abbreviated list of her accomplishments while employed by the city. And it is a long and admirable list that in and of itself is enough to show that she deserved everything she achieved. Third, Ms. Zuniga has demonstrated her integrity and her courage in cooperating fully with the government in the investigation of Mr. Nuru and in working to get her life back on track. 
Public Works tells only a small part of their, her story in their submission. After confronting Mr. Nuru in 2020, Ms. Zuniga entered into a plea agreement in March 2021, pleading guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit money laundering. She then participated in multiple extensive proffers with the Department of Justice and provided substantial and helpful information about Mr. Nuru's criminal activities. She feels tremendous regret for her actions, and you can see that for yourself in the declaration attached at Appendix C, as well as in the 27 letters of support from her friends, family, and colleagues attached to Appendix B. But instead of surrendering to that regret and that guilt and giving up, Ms. Zuniga has worked hard to pick herself back up. She has been attending therapy for the last three years, as well as Codependence Anonymous, and attends three to four healing circles per week hosted by Restore Oakland. Her goal is to ensure that the crimes that she committed with Mr. Nuru never happen again. The letters of support describe how far she has come in that journey, how much she has transformed her life in the last three years, and how she has leveraged her experiences and even her flaws to help others. In conclusion, perhaps the greatest indication of Ms. Zuniga's character is the reason we are all here today, her desire to resume her employment with the city. It is while working for the city that she met Mr. Nuru in 2008, and as I think we can all agree, that relationship has wreaked havoc with her life. In 2020, Public Works terminated her employment, and not satisfied with that, imposed a citywide future employment restriction that they continue to argue for today. So no one would blame Ms. Zuniga for never wanting to work with the city again, but her commitment to public service is so strong that she wants to return to this environment, to return to working with the city, to better the lives of people in her community. That shows courage, resilience, passion, and accountability, attributes that make her an asset, not a liability to the city. And she accordingly requests that the restriction be lifted. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, commissioners, uh, any questions or comments? Um, either for the department DPW or the appellant. <clears throat> No questions? No. No questions? Okay. Um, we appear not to have questions. Are there comments um, from any of the commissioners? Anything going to be part of Uh, Vice President Favetti. In actuality, it's a, I, I truly appreciate the efforts that Ms. Zunika has made to address the issues that she's had to deal with all the, the uh, both in her past and what's happened as far as her employment with the city. However, um, and unfortunately, this is in, going to be in the form of a motion. 
in looking at the case in its totality and looking at the repeated um, offenses, uh, I cannot, um, in this case, vote for a modification of the citywide restriction, the citywide ban. And so I would be moving to uphold the decision of the department, the human resources director, and deny the appeal. Okay, Vice President Favetti. Um, any additional comments, um, or is there a second? Yes, I um, concur with um, Commissioner Favetti, um, and for that reason, I'll second. Okay. Um, and I'd and I'd also like to add that um, I read this file very extensively, both the submittal by the department as well as the submittal by the appellant. And I have come to appreciate the importance of accountability but also second and third chances. Uh, having been a public servant for 20 of my professional years, there are some core principles that I think we have to hold dear. And um, public sector corruption uh, turns our system into something that none of us want to be a part of or live in or work for. And there are many ways to make amends. There are many ways to continue to serve but a request to continue to serve in an organization in a public in the public sector where the corruption went to the core of who we are as a city is just something that I can't agree to and so I will be voting um, to support the motion that has been made by Vice President Favetti. Okay, any additional comments from commissioners? We will uh, now move to public comment. If you have public comment on the motion, which is to uh, adopt the report um, from, the, from DPW, you may come to the podium. Uh, and if you um, are on the telephone, you may press star three. Uh, Director Hill. I would just like to say thank you for your um, votes in supporting the department. Thank you. Elizabeth, any public comment on the telephone? President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay, uh, thank you. Uh, commissioners, the roll call vote on uh, the pending motion. Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson, Salveson, and I vote aye, and uh, Commissioner Leong is recused. We have voted to 
um, deny the appeal, which means that the permanent restriction stands. Uh, thank you, thank the department uh, for your work and for your patience with us as we work to find a date that worked for you and for the appellant. Um, I appreciate the appellant and uh, salute her for the work that she is has undertaken and appreciate her counsel being here with her. Okay. We are ready for the next agenda item. Item 14, commissioner's announcements and our requests. Uh, Vice President Favetti. Well, I have this too. Um, I was wondering if we could, um, and I, and I uh, excuse me if I've already got this on the agenda, uh, but I was wondering if we could follow up on the report for DPH because they were going to be, um, they were looking at six months making these major improvements. Uh, that would have been September and I thought, well, maybe we ought to see what's happening as far as the uh, hiring for RNs. So this is for the nurses. Right. Uh-huh. Okay. This is a follow-up on their last report. Okay. And then the other is with regard to and, the... And that's oh. for Director Biaspas. We'll take that oh. back, right? Uh, yes. Uh, okay. Thank you. I would imagine that Director Mihaspas and Director Aim will be coordinated. <laughs> That's correct. And then the other was just some follow up on the medical exams, possibly with police, fire, and particularly the sheriff's office to determine whether or not the contracting um, can help to um, unlaunch some of the possible delays that they may be uh, incurring uh, and that's the request. It says, this is an aside in parentheses, especially since it was the uh, hiring delays for the sheriff's department was highlighted in the editorials. Mm -hmm. This weekend, yes. Okay. Um, and staff got both of those requests from. Oh, you'll listen to the tape, okay? <laughs> Any additional um, announcements or comments, uh, commissioners? Okay, I'll just uh, FYI the commission that um, uh, Executive Officer Ng and I had anticipated that uh, the board's hearing on the grand jury report, uh, actually it was the board committee on government and audits, was going to take place on Thursday. And uh, we both attended and um, when the item was called, it was announced that uh, Supervisor Preston who had specifically pushed forward for the hearing, uh, had called in sick. And uh, it is now being rescheduled for the first Thursday in December. And uh, we will expect to attend the meeting then. Commission commissioners, I apologize. I had wanted to include in my announcement uh, the hiring of our 1426 senior clerk typist, Shamika Gordon, who actually was very excited about coming to her first commission meeting. So well, I just wanted to welcome her to the department. Right. Well, welcome, Shamika. Past tense on that one, I'm telling you. Thank you for being here and uh, for observing and absorbing lots of information today. <laughs> okay. All right. We're ready for the last agenda item. Item 15, adjournment. It is now 6.12 p.m.
Hey, thank you.